Welcome to the Protein Bros Podcast. I am your guest, Ty Jordan, here with your hosts, Kyle Combs and Jeff Wasserman. God, dude, you just have a better voice than we do. Yeah, man. When is your podcast dropping? I was about to say. We you need know, I've to get always you. been told I had a voice for radio. You I do. I wasn't sure if that was a slap in the face to my aesthetics, but uh, no, no. maybe it's a start for me. Let's get it going. It's clearly a TV voice. Well, dude, you got to do, do the video. You, you definitely need a YouTube along with the radio. You know what I'm saying? For sure. So everybody can see the physique. When did, uh, I mean, we've, I've said this to you so many times. If you guys don't know Ty, um, Ty's been bodybuilding for how many years now? I've been bodybuilding for a little over 11 years. Ty is, I would say, uh, the most decorated local bodybuilder we have that's not currently an IPB pro. Is that correct? Uh, I really appreciate that, but I would humbly say there's a lot of really good bodybuilders in this local area. Um, I'm not going to run down the list, but uh, there's a there's a lot of great ones here. There's a lot of up and coming really good bodybuilders here in Kansas City. That's why we like. I would say I'm honored to be a part of that group. Yeah, this man is so humble. He's not just a, a you know somebody who bodybuilds. He's also a coach, a business owner, a husband, a brother a son. I mean, he, he puts everything into all of those baskets. And so I think you guys are going to find from this conversation that, um, he takes all of those ventures very serious and I'm excited to get to know about each one. Yeah, man. Thank you for coming on. Really appreciate you guys having me on. Uh, immense amount of respect for you both as men, uh, pillars of the community and, uh, entrepreneurs. So really looking forward to this spot. Thank you, man. Appreciate you, you, dude. Um, first thing I want to go ahead. I was going to say, so, you know, we met you, what in 2015 or 16 it was 17 i believe 17. it was, it was, it was the like very beginning of 2017 when very you early brought your first store to the kansas city metro and yeah. the uh the corbin park overland park area yes and you were a trainer at genesis i believe correct. at the time mm-hmm. that's correct how many years were you training there so at that time i had been with genesis i want to say for a little over a year yeah just a little over a year really kind of getting my feet wet in the fitness industry at that point this was, uh, was this 119th and Metcalf in Kansas City or Overland Park area? Sorry. Yeah, I'd spent some time between the 119th club as well as the uh, the 110th club. And at the time, I want to say when you first came in, you had heard of us or you had heard of First Form and you were looking at, you know, just, you know, wanting to try their brand or something along those lines. I just remember, dude, it was, it was a very, um, I don't know how to describe this. It was just an impactful interaction. Yeah. And, um, you know, it was like you were you had such high praise for us and dude, um, we had some imposter syndrome, you know, coming to Kansas city. At least I did personally. I don't want to speak for Kyle on that, but he came into our store guys when we were, you know, two months in something like that. And we knew that we were good at what we did, but we didn't know how specifically the Kansas city fitness community and specifically even more than that influential, you know, key players in the fitness community would accept us or not. And so to have somebody who is clearly, um, you know, living the lifestyle of someone who wants to be great um, in the bodybuilding industry to say these like high praise things to me was just like, holy shit. Okay, we can do this. You know what I mean? That was a very like, dude, you were the very first person that I talked to that was like that for real. Yeah, it was crazy. Yeah. I remember when you guys came into town, you know, you guys brought a great store, great products, uh, a really high standard for the uh, the uh, employees that you brought on board with you. And, uh, you know, I also remember you guys got behind me during one of my early contest preps, and that meant a lot to me, uh, something I'll never forget. So uh, forever endeared to you guys, and uh, it's been a pleasure to watch you guys grow and uh, really bring a lot of the uh, Kansas City fitness industry together. Awesome, Thanks, man. man. Dude, thank you. I remember first meeting you. There was a couple things that I remember about uh, you when we first met is that you actually, at the time, you were doing, um, you had just got done doing strongman stuff. So how long were you doing strongman before you got into bodybuilding? 
Yeah, so um, strongman was probably the first, uh, probably the first spear of the, I guess the extreme bodybuilding and fitness part of the industry that I really delved into. Mm-hmm. Um, as a young man, I was very, very interested in bodybuilding, but I didn't really see the uh, the potential for that in my future at the time. But um, as someone that was already successful on the gridiron as a football player, it was a pretty natural transition for me to look at athletics in the world of strength sports. So. For sure. Um, after dabbling with powerlifting for a short time, really found my niche with the strongman, and I really jumped into that from age 17 all the way up until about 23 or 24 or so. Um, I pushed really hard for professional status in that sport. Um, I was able to achieve a teenage heavyweight national championship and a couple of very close runs uh, towards achieving that pro card. But ultimately, um, I think we've all kind of seen the direction of the sport of professional strongman with most of the most successful individuals of that sport being, you know, anywhere from six foot five to six foot eight, yeah. 380 to 450 pounds. And, you know, I've always been someone who's been able to be very objective about where I belong and what my future and oper- you know, my future opportunities and aspirations are. And so I very quickly was able to assess that that was not going to be the um, platform for me to be ultimately successful. So I pivoted out of strongman, took a little bit of time off and then ultimately found myself in bodybuilding. So uh, I've been running after bodybuilding pretty hard since the age of 23, 24. Yeah, man. What, what was your favorite event though in Strongman? Because there's so many, you know, cool, fun things that people, and it's a very watchable sport, you yeah. know? Yeah, it is very watchable sport. You know, it's a lot, it's difficult for a, a general audience to really, uh, you know, relate to X amount of plate weight on a barbell. But I think a lot of us, you know, from a very young age, remember watching World Strongest Man on television and thinking about what it might be like to pull a bus or pull a plane or lift a big stone and, you know, some of those functional um, strength events, I think they're a lot more entertaining and relatable to a general audience. Um, I would say my favorite events were probably the loading events, you know, whether it be loading Atlas stones, um, loading rocks, loading kegs onto platforms. I think that's kind of the hallmark event that most people think of when they, uh, they picture the sport of strong, when they picture a big burly man with a big stone on their chest, trying to take it up to a platform. So every once I would in a while, stone loading was probably it. Do you want to go back to doing that every once in a while? Like just for fun? Oh, of course. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. you, you see people in the industry like Larry wheels, you know, doing crossover, um, you know, crossover, strongman, powerlifting, bodybuilding. And it does seem like a lot of fun, but you know, at the higher echelons of all of these three respective sports, I think we all know that ultimately to be your very, very best, you do have to kind of put all your eggs in one basket. Yeah, got to choose a path. Yeah, you've got to choose a path because in order to be the best on competition day, there generally takes, you know, six to 12 months of competition preparation. So, you know, your preparation has to be focused. Your off-season training has to be focused. If you're taking that time cross-training or preparing for other events, you're ultimately going to find yourself unprepared to compete with the best in whatever discipline you are currently facing. Let's peel that back, dude. What, what uh, you obviously in that, uh, you're, you're the type of person who's trying to be the absolute best. Where does that competitive drive come from? Like you, you'd mentioned you'd played football growing up. Um, is that primarily where you kind of developed that, uh, desire to be the best? You know, I think a lot of that comes from a place of negativity to be totally honest with you. Um, Mm -hmm. I think from a young age, not being satisfied with the way that I looked, not being satisfied with my genetics, not being satisfied with the way that I performed at a young age in athletics. And, you know, I think all of that spurred from a place of negativity and whether that's a good or a bad thing, I'm not really sure, but I think, um, I think a common denominator of a lot of great champions and a lot of great, um, 
successful people in life is being spurred on by negativity and being spurred on by feelings of, uh, you know, potentially low self-worth and low self-esteem and wanting to take that into their own hands and correct that by whatever means necessary. For sure. And so I'm totally right with you on that, man. It's just like trying you, to prove that you're enough, you know, and whatever it is that you're performing in or doing. Yeah. You know, and some people take those, those feelings and they harness them for good. Some people take them and harness them for bad, you know? And so it's like victim, you can, victimhood. There, if, you, if yeah. you can take, if you can take that mentality and you can say, you know, I'm going to improve, you know, I'm sure along the way of you improving. Nice, Jeff, my bad, <laughs> you improving along that journey. Um, you've built confidence and you've helped to fight back a lot of those feelings of inadequacy that you used to feel. Is that correct? It's really interesting that you say that because, um, again, while I don't know it's a good thing or a bad thing that, you know, most of my success has come from trying to correct past feelings of self doubt or self negativity or low self esteem in the same token, I almost feel like I can't even remember what it was like to be that person yeah. that felt like they were on the outside looking in from a, you know, a genetic perspective or a, a self-worth perspective. I think the subconscious desire to find a way to just constantly improve and to constantly objectively assess where I've come up short and what my shortcomings are and where I can apply myself further in order to be greater. I think that's just been kind of a subconscious process that was spurned out of that internal negativity and some of that internal low self-esteem. But I would say that I never actually feel like I'm carrying those negative feelings that I used to carry from my youth. You know, I'm very comfortable and confident within myself and I'm very happy with where I stand in all facets of life from my businesses to uh, my physique prowess to what I've done on stage for better or for worse. I can objectively say I want better for myself in all of those categories but I don't carry any misgivings or any ne negativity about it. I think I'm just intrinsically wired from a young age to constantly be able to objectively assess how can I be better at this? For sure. And um, while I don't carry a lot of negative misgivings about myself or low self-esteem, I also think a common denominator of people that are extremely successful in life, whether it be you know people at the upper echelons of professional sports like the Michael Jordans of the world or whether it be... Um, top level entrepreneurs and business folks is I don't know if a lot of those people are capable of marinating on their successes and being happy about what they've achieved. You know, I think those people are constantly in a state of evaluation and objective, um, just objective evaluation of where they can go forward and where they can improve. You know, yeah. I don't think there's a lot of time spent, um, just marinating on past success or um, the feelings of elation of victory or things like that. I think it's a constant process of forward thinking. And again, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, I think that's a common trait of all successful people. So I would like to try to find a way to be better at just pausing at times and just taking in some of the success that I've had and giving myself more pats on the back before moving forward. Mm -hmm. Smell the roses a bit, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you know, yeah. because time goes really fast. You know, we're talking about when I first met you both, uh, I was 26 or 27 and yeah. I'm just uh, like two months away from turning 32 years old. So it's wild. It's really crazy it how fast, fast time dude. goes. And I feel like with every successive year, each one goes faster than the prior 
So it would be nice to be able to, you know, hit the pause button for a day or two, a week yeah. or two here and there and just take a deep breath and just soak up life. I, yeah. I think, uh, you know, something you hit on and th- I read, I read a post that you made today, um, that also kind of talked about it too, but a lot of high performers are people who, um, see a lot of success. I think the reason that they're, they're it's hard to smell the roses or they don't smell the roses is purely from a standpoint of they learn to like really enjoy the process. That's something you talked about in your, in your, um, post that you made that you just love the bodybuilding lifestyle. You love the process of it. Obviously you want to win. Obviously, you know, whenever I compete in something, I want to win, you know, in business, I want to win, but you also, you fall in love with the the process and the steps that it takes, the meals that you're eating, the, the training that you're doing, you know, when it comes to business, the, you know, all the ins and outs that it takes to, to, you know, deliver on a good customer service experience or deliver a good product. You know, you start falling in love with that process and it's important to win, but it doesn't like, um, you know, a lot of people, they get into a, a mindset where it's like, if, if they don't win, they, they just say to hell with it. And they just throw it all away. Uh-huh. And those are not high performers. Those are people that are never going to reach the peak because you have to be able to assess, oh, you know. I think they had the wrong intent there, though. Yeah. You know, it's like they were thinking in their heads that, you know, my self-worth is to, attached to the outcome of this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it wasn't about the process for them at all. It was about the outcome. I mean, if, if you're like you me know? at the beginning, you know, the, the outcome is what you're after. You know, when sure. you have low self-esteem at the beginning of things, you're like, I have to win. If I'm going to feel good about myself, I have to win, you know? And it seems like you've kind of moved past that, which is a good thing. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right about that. I think, um, there's a lot of people that get into the sport for the wrong reasons. Uh, when I say this sport, I'm talking about, you know, physique competition at, you know, at all levels, whether it be bikini, bodybuilding, uh, classic physique, anything that, you know, falls in line with getting on stage and presenting yourself to the audience. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you get into that for the wrong reasons, it's going to be a very, very, um, it's going to be a rough journey and I think it's going to burn a lot on the way out because um, ultimately you really do have to fall in love with this process to be able to handle the ups and downs that comes with the end result, which is getting on stage, getting your physique um, subjectively um, picked assessed apart. and picked <laughs> apart and having to deal with, you know, the expectations that come with putting yourself out there in front of our local and in some cases, you know, the national fitness community and, you know, for better or worse, just having to deal with the fallout of that. So um, that's why it's been so easy for me to just be in this industry happily for the last decade, because I love the process. You know, um, as a former college football player, it was very easy for me to move on from that time in my life because I only garnered satisfaction from game day, only garnered satisfaction from being on the gridiron in front of the audience, giving my heart and soul for that three hours. You know, I didn't love the practice. I didn't love the film study. I didn't love the five hour bus trips. I didn't love the sacrifice that came with it. So I was at a war with myself every single day as a football player, trying to decide if the ins were worth the outs. And Mm -hmm. I never find that to be any type of equation that I am assessing or contemplating you know, with my own involvement as a bodybuilder in this fitness industry, you know, I love what I do. Um, I love the lifestyle. Sometimes the competitive part of the lifestyle can, uh, it can wear on you and it's not for everybody, but, uh, you know, even just three, four, five days after the fallout of what was actually a pretty disappointing, um, contest for me, the, uh, the NPC Midwest championships, which I just competed in this last weekend, uh, three, four, five days post show, 
very easy for me to fall back into the lifestyle in which I love, you know, my day-to-day process with my meals, my day-to-day process with evaluating the training and seeing when and where I can find ways to improve with that. And then, you know, not being deep into the confines of the contest prep, you know, my brain is wide open and now circulating on new business ventures, ways to continue to help my team that I'm growing, you know, Team Tight Jordan, that's the business that, you know, I represent with both my athletes in the gym and athletes that I coach, both as lifestyle and competitive bodybuilders um, and physique athletes. And, you know, every day I just find that I'm getting back into loving life and I feel really, really blessed to be in the position that I'm in. What's uh, with your focus is like that shifting. Um, is that where you're wanting to put more of your focus starting now or do you have other uh, contests coming up this year that you want to continue to compete in? Thanks, Jeff. That's actually a great question. So, you know, one of the things that strikes you immediately when you get done with such a selfish process that is competitive bodybuilding, um, for those of you that don't know, typically to prepare for a competitive bodybuilding show and to be at your best, you're looking at anywhere from 16 to 24 weeks of pre-show preparation. You know, that's when you really start to dial in with your diet. You start to make some sacrifices such as, you know, spending time out on the weekends with your friends, your family, uh, you know, eating the foods that you like, uh, doing some of the social things that you like to do in order to make sure you're getting good sleep. Uh, you have to start accounting for, um, you know, additional cardio sessions in the morning, um, you know, additional cardio sessions at night. The discipline really starts almost a half year out. Um, so all that being said, you know, when a process like this wraps up, your first thoughts are, um, you know, I would say my first thoughts as someone who is, you know, endeared to other people, you know, I'm not a single individual, you know, I'm a married man, I'm a business owner, I have an in-person business as well as the coaching business. Your first thoughts are, was the sacrifice and the selfish nature of the last 20 some odd weeks, was it worth it? You know, Mm -hmm. you have to assess, was it worth it? And while I'm still coming to an ultimate conclusion on that, I know that my first instinct as someone who has a very selfish nature to me, you know, despite the inherent selfishness that comes with the competitive bodybuilding, my first thoughts the second the show ends are, how can I start giving back to the people that ultimately made a sacrifice to continue to be a part of my life and to allow me to take this process all the way and to give it my very all. And so my first thoughts are, yes, you know, it's time for me to reinvest in my business, Mm -hmm. put more thought and energy into my clients because I would say any coach or any, any any person who trains or coaches athletes and would suggest that their ability to provide exemplary 100% top-notch service compared to the service they provided when they were not in the deep confines of the prep, they're just not being honest. Right. You know, mm-hmm. even if your intentions are pure, you're just not you're just not being honest. There's there's know? just costs when, you, when you're there's, focusing. There's like just that. not enough energy. There's not enough circulating glycogen in the body there's not enough brain power to be able to honestly and accurately say that you're giving those people 100 the very very best that you're capable of giving even if your intention is to continue to deliver that level of service so you know for someone like me the first thought is how can i go above and beyond you know now that my focus is clear and my ability to provide that quality of service has immediately increased pour, pour do, into others that pour into you. Do, exactly. Right. Yeah. Do you think, um, you know, the, the benefit of having a coach like yourself, 
um, who has competed at the top levels and who has, you know, done this for such a long period of time, the benefits outweigh the negatives of when you're in prep. Like you're able to, though you might, you know, be going through prep and you might not be able to give the best possible service um, during that time frame. There's a ton of benefit too, purely from the standpoint of you have the experience. I mean, you've been bodybuilding for how many years now? About 10 years. Yeah. So it's like, you, you know, obviously there's a short amount of time there, there you know, where you can't, um, like you were saying, if, if nobody, if somebody listening to this hasn't done a prep for a bodybuilding show, there's about the two month period there, at least six week period where your brain, man, it just doesn't function the same way. You're tired. You're, you're, you also kind of get like a, it's hard to explain. You get like a tunnel vision where almost you start throwing away things that, you know, you're like, I can't, I'm not going to focus on that. I'm not going to focus on that because you get kind of a one track mind towards what you're doing. Um, and I would say, you know, do you think that there's, uh, it's, it's still beneficial to be with a coach like yourself, who's been, you know, through that process so many different times that you can still, um, you know, it's still a, you're offering more value, you're offering more value in what you do during that time frame, even though you are, you know, kind yeah. of just because you might <laughs> have a low carb brain doesn't mean that you, do, right. you can't give, yeah. um, you know, a phenom- you know, just phenomenal help yeah. because you've experienced it. I think those are great questions. And I think that kind of jumps into the conversation of, you know, whether or not to hire somebody that simply has the credibility via the X's and O's and the educational background versus hiring somebody who has the anecdotal experience with some of those X's and O's and with some of that prior education. And I think it's incredibly important to um, assess that equation. And where I personally come out on that is I think the anecdotal experience is paramount to ultimately having the success that you want on stage I think you absolutely need to align yourself with someone who has walked that walk and can talk that talk. Now, whether or not that coach is currently and actively competing, I don't think that's an important component of it. But I do think it's important that you work with someone that has walked the walk and can talk the talk because beyond the X's and O's of programming a diet for a successful contest prep and programming training and supplementation in order to be successful – I think you need to work with somebody that understands the mental perspective and the mental approach that comes with going into a show because you can, have, you can have all of your X's and O's right, but if you don't have somebody that's capable of getting your mind in the right place and getting your stress levels and your expectations and getting your mental focus and preparation in place for that stage opportunity – um, it can all get away from you really, really quickly. What's um, in, <clears throat> uh, man, this is a question I've wanted to know so bad for years and years and years. So I have met at least a hundred prep coaches, you know what I mean? In my time. And I'd ask you because you've been prep coaching for so how long now, as far as separate from being the athlete, but being the coach since 2017. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So just about as long as Four we've been in business. Years. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. How much of that coaching? Cause a lot of people I think that are from the outside looking in would look at it as, you know, dude, I can write you a diet, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. It's like, how much of the coaching is, is is you giving them the X's and O's and how much of it is you being their therapist and being their mentor and being their accountability? I would say it's an individual situation for every person. Case you know, by case. Case yeah. by case. You know, I've worked with some people where, um, you know, I've maybe had to make two or three manipulations to a diet in a course of 10 weeks because everything's flowing perfectly. Mm-hmm. Um, They're dialed in. But with mm-hmm. said person, you know, maybe they needed two to three mental check-ins each week, every single week in order to just keep them, um, you know, in line with the process, you know, trusting the process, understanding that 
there's a time and a place for everything and understanding that, you know, with a contest prep, you're trying to land the plane at a precise time. You know, you're not trying to land the plane earlier, get there too early. You know, there's a rhyme and reason for every part of the prep process. So um, every athlete that you work with, you have to be prepared for the individual journey that is that person's prep, you know. So you've got to be ready for all comers in all situations. That's super interesting. And yeah. it seems like the the in the amount of time that, that we've been doing this and working with prep coaches, it seems like the longer that you have a client, the more and more and more dialed in you can get that process because you basically you diet somebody down. You know, maybe there's a there's a couple variables that go wrong. Um, you know, their peak doesn't go quite right and but you know, and you could look at that as a failure, but then, you know, if you're smart, you look at it and you say, Hey, uh, well, this is the variable that probably caused that, you know, this is how we're going to tweak it next time, you know, and be able to learn and move forward from there. Yeah. And, you know, in an ideal scenario, you'd always want to get a chance to work with somebody as early as you possibly can to build a foundational rapport to get that inherent baseline trust in place. Because what you don't want to run into is you ideally wouldn't want to start working with somebody at the start of a contest prep because you're just getting to know each other. You don't really know the individual's body. And a big part of a successful contest prep is getting the athlete to believe in the process when there's so much pressure on them. There's the countdown of X amount of days, X amount of weeks to the show. And usually once you start getting to that prep process, you know, I can speak from firsthand experience as a competitor. You only see your flaws. You only see your weak points. You only see where you're behind. You don't see any of your good qualities. You only see where you're still holding body fat, where you're holding water, where you need to improve. And so in that process, there needs to be a strong degree of trust and um, just a, a healthy relationship with that coach. So I think it's really important to lay that foundation in an off-season setting and really learn that individual's body without the pressure that comes with the contest prep so that when it's time to roll into said prep process, that fundamental trust is in place and to your point, I think some of those X's and O's that you asked about, I think some of that is almost a placebo in that if the athlete is doubting the process, those X's and O's aren't going to have an opportunity to work. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, you could dial up a great game plan, but if that person is stressed out looking at your plan and they don't believe in you. Right. They're asking around. And, yeah, yeah. It's only going to have such a great chance to work. So I think some of that is almost placebo in that you have to be able to mentally find out what that person's made of and connect with them. So sure. um, I think some coaches in the industry are great in that they've got a great knowledge base, um, but they don't have a personality style that lends itself to being able to work with a variety of people. So I think a great coach is someone who's also able to recognize what personality style the person in front of them is and being able to connect with that. You know, some athletes need a little bit more praise and a little bit more affirmation along the way other athletes you've got to understand up in front that maybe you've got to be a little bit harder on them hold back on um praise and um hold back on compliments and really just get them in tune with the process right get them working especially with some of the more talented athletes you know i find with more talented athletes sometimes it's more about just being a little bit more business-like with them right um a little bit more x's and o's and just demanding a high degree of compliance and efficiency when, when building that relationship, and this is a phrase that I use with all of our staff over and over and over and over again, uh, to your point about um, <clears throat> building that rapport first uh, before they start to really trust you because mm -hmm. you might have the best X's and O's in game plan, but they may need a little more pats on the back and so forth. And that's 
uh, the phrase I like to use is people don't care what you know until they know you care. Mm -hmm. And so it's just one of those things where you could be the most you know high level, you know, mind on, on, on bodybuilding. But if they don't think that you really care about them, you know, if they don't really think that if you're just treating them like a business, like a number, right. right. They're thinking in their head, like, well, I'm going to go talk to these people that I know and trust. Right. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to take your plan. I'm going to go check it over. And what's crazy is in the years that I've worked at the counter at something Superstores, man, the amount of people that come in and just straight up, like, what do you think about all this that I was just given from my coach that they paid? Right. You know, say follow the people that you paid. We're like, for the love (laughs) of God, do not put me in this state where you're going to try to make me step on the toes of a, of a local professional Uh, for the love of all that is holy pay, like follow the person that you pay all the way. The unfortunate part about a lot of people's programs is it's a kitchen sink approach of their coach, as well as four or five other individuals who have, offered their thoughts in either a solicited or unsolicited manner Frankenstein. And then those thoughts get mixed into the equation and then you have no idea what you're working with. And that's a, you know, that's a huge disservice to the coach that you've paid money to. Um, You know, they're operating off of the presumption that, you know, you're following protocol 100% and they're making their manipulations and adjustments based off of those inherent assumptions. And now it's not even your plan. It's it's their plan. Right. So have you getting on this subject, have you ever had to fire a client? You know, because it's 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 a two way street. You you know, well, I, I have I have had to fire a client, and it's something that you never want to have to do. But you have to remember that uh, the individuals that you choose to work with are also a reflection of your business and of your service. So very good point. Um, you know, and on that note, where we're talking about the kitchen sink approach, it had gotten back to me that a younger client of mine was asking some of my other athletes. Um, questions about their plan and comparing their plans and wanting to do some of the things that he saw on their plan. So he had started implementing some of the food items that I had on another athlete's plan. And, you know, I explained to this individual two or three times, your plan is your plan for a reason. His plan is his plan for a reason. Everything is customized for a reason. And when we continued to run into this hurdle where he was continually questioning what was on his plan relative to other plans, I told him that this is just, this is not a representation of the work that I've put in place for you. And this is not going to result in the product that I'm looking to build with you. And the money that I stand to gain from working with you for even another month or two, it's simply not worth it to continue to put out a product that doesn't represent what I'm trying to build. That's why you have success, dude, Mm -hmm. is because you don't look at the quick dollar. You look at the longer, you, you have a longer term mindset on things. Yeah. I mean, you care about your, you mean, you care about your brand and you care about the people that you have working under you. And and as a professional, it's just like, that's not my product over there. It's somebody else's. No matter what industry it is, turning and burning business is never going to be a good look, you know? And, you know, like you look at say sponsored athletes that jump from say one company to a next and every month it's like they're advertising a new pre-workout product. Um, you know, that doesn't inspire faith and maybe say a consumer to want to, uh, attach themselves to whatever brand that that athlete is now sponsoring. And like, similarly, you wouldn't want to attach yourself to my brand as a coach. If you see that I have athletes coming in and out of my team every single month, but sure. If you see guys that have been with me for six to 12 to 18 months that are making steady, consistent progress and are showing that they're proud to be affiliated and working with me. That's what I'm looking to build. You know, quality over quantity, um, I think, is always going to be the best business practice. For sure. And kind of talking about sponsorships, because you have a couple great sponsors, you know, obviously Phase One Nutrition and Jed North, and you've been with them for how long? I've been with Phase One since uh, 
I want to say May of 2019. Yeah, coming right off of the uh, the last NPC Midwest Championships that I competed with, I garnered that sponsorship uh, after a really good showing there. So I've been with Phase One Nutrition since May of 2019, and uh, I started my Jed Norris sponsorship uh, actually as an ambassadorship back in. June of 2020, and that has actually progressed into a full-blown sponsorship with them as of January of 2022. Congrats, man. I've always uh, always really appreciated the way that you present the brands. Like, um, from the standpoint of it doesn't seem fake or hokey, you Mm -hmm. know, it seems, it seems, you know, which I don't know if you could do anything fake or hokey. Well, let me, let me, yeah, you don't have any of that that. in you, I feel like. Let me speak to that. The reason it doesn't seem fake or hokey is, I, st- I say to my wife almost every single day how darn thankful I am that I have the support of Phase 1 Nutrition and that I have the support of Jed, uh, Jed North Bodybuilding. Um, you know, I don't know what I would do without the high-quality products that I can consistently rely on, you know, from protein to amino acids to um, internal health support to, uh, you know, a plethora of different pre-workouts and products that help me succeed in the gym. Um, you know, I've been able to rely on them consistently not only with making sure I have the products that I need each and every month, but the product innovation that Jed North, I'm sorry, that phase one nutrition um, has put out on the market, which I know you guys are familiar with as Josh, Josh over there, the owner, he's phenomenal dude. Yeah. Yeah, Josh is very, Josh, the owner of phase one nutrition is very, very deep into research and development. And I want to say at least seven or eight new products have come out in the lineup since I first started with them in 2019 when they just had their flagship products, uh, pre-phase, pre-phase, lean phase, um, and then just a couple of, you know, more obscure kind of gray area uh, per- yeah. performance enhancing supplements. Yeah. So they've really expanded their market. Um, they found a way to uh, connect with a much broader part of the fitness community with, you know, protein, amino acids, and things like that, but still in touch with some of the uh, original principles in terms of high-level products and uh, that ultimately drew them and just, you know, good homegrown ownership, yeah. uh, loyal, reliable people I can trust based out of the Columbia, Missouri area. So um, super proud to be with them, super honored. But then on to my other sponsorship, how could I not be excited to be with Jed North? I mean, I'm literally wearing their clothes 24-7, not just in the gym, but, you know, they provide me with all of my streetwear too. You know, the shirt I'm wearing right now, the jeans I'm wearing right now come from Jed North. And crazy. It's it's really just a blessing to be able to open up my drawers seven days a week and decide what, you know, top, what bottom, what boxers, you know, I'm wearing from Jed North. So it's a blessing. And so I that's think where the genuine nature that comes. Th- you know? That's a testament to, you know, you could have gotten sponsored by a multitude of different companies before, you know, you chose those sponsors. Um, but you know, everything that you just said is a testament to finding the right fit, you know, as far as a sponsor, I, I feel like people join the fitness industry within a year of joining the fitness industry. They're like, I should be sponsored. And they take literally the first like sponsorship that comes their way. Dude, and it's, it's like, and it's, it's, and let's be, let's be like transparent on this. It's not typically a sponsorship. It's a, it's a it's code. An it's, an, it's an ambassadorship. You're getting a discount and it's off of like, you know, the, the MSRP, like the highest uh, retail price possible. So they're still, you're, you're paying what would be like 
a product that you would buy at our store, for example, you're paying yeah. almost the same price, yeah. but you got 20% off or 30% off their website price, which was astronomically higher. Right. But a lot you of know? people, they, they don't look at a sponsorship like you just explained as like, this is going to be a partnership that I'm sure. with long term. Well, you just said the but, phrase, dude, you said it, partnership. Yeah. They look at it as like a, how can I look cool? How can I get validation? Yeah, yeah. How, validation can I, how can I get a boost to my cloud or my ego? Yeah. You know? And Well, you guys, you know, one of the one of the more difficult conversations that I have to have with a lot of the athletes that I work with, you know, not just lifestyle clients, but, you know, legitimate athletes that, you know, have aspirations of finding their way into the bodybuilding and the fitness industry and being something someday. I've had to have this conversation with many of these folks because they asked me, how did you get your sponsorship? What can I do to get sponsored? Um, you know, questions along those lines. And it's kind of an unfortunate conversation in that, you know, you don't want to offend any of these guys, but you have to let them know, like, I've put in so much time, work, and effort into being a valuable commodity for this fitness industry and for these brands to be able to be recognized as someone that they feel could, uh, you know, adequately highlight and sell their products to a, a, a wider audience. And, you know, it's tough to let these guys know that there's a lot of work that you need to do on your own personal brand, on your own personal physique development um, before you're going to be able to stand out in any measurable way that would bring value to said companies. You right. know? So that's right. a tough conversation for a lot of people to have, but um, you know, it kind of just dials back to this microwave society we live in where everybody wants something now, now, now. But you know, again, if you just dive back into my story, I've been doing this for 10 years and I just garnered those sponsorships within the last couple of years. So, you know, I would advise anybody who has any aspirations yeah. of, you know, capitalizing on these platforms in this industry, you know, of course you want to start working on your niche and finding ways to stand out, but you know, you've got to be something special first before anybody's going to see anything special within you. Yeah. You know, right. You've got to carve yourself out and be worth something. You, you, you know? also, something too that um, you kind of touched on is that, you know, there were seven years there where you were just grinding, you were just working, right? Mm-hmm. And you weren't jumping from brand to brand to brand to oh, brand. Oh, dude. That, and, he was, and he was working at a big box gym in yeah. a sense. He wasn't too good to, mm-hmm. to train at a, you know, a big gym, et cetera. Well, but you know when, I mean? when those brands started looking at you as like, oh, this guy could be, you know, a guy that we look to sponsor, when they looked at your page, they weren't seeing you jumping from brand to brand to brand to brand. Because what does that make people do? Right. As a business owner, you're like, I don't know if I want to touch that. Yeah, that yeah, dude's this person a brand has no hopper. loyalty. Yeah, yeah. You're, loyalty. Forced to, you're forced to question loyalty, loyalty, um, authenticity, genuine nature. Um, but to that point, um, you're going to hear a lot of people say what I'm about to say, but not everybody means it. Before I officially linked with Jen North. I'm sorry, before I officially linked with phase one nutrition, I would say at least three or four up and coming supplement companies and very, I would say very similar standing to where phase one nutrition was situated at that time, which was, uh, you know, within their first couple years of launch, still looking at just two or three flagship products, still kind of identifying the direction of their branding, you know, hadn't established any like major relationships with any like wholesale resellers. There was a lot of companies, um, in that similar situation that had approached me around the same time that phase one nutrition had. And it was through an evaluative process of deciding, do I think I can be, or do I want to be attached to any of these companies long-term that I ultimately said no to three or four of them before landing with phase one nutrition. And when their offer came aboard, it was just an immediate yes, yes, yes. You know, because the three or four companies that approached me before, there was nothing about their branding or the direction of their products 
or any personal feeling that I got from their upper level management that reached out to me that made me feel like this was something that had legs to it where I could attach myself long term and be able to pr- promote an authentic nature about my relationship. So yeah. I said no to those three or four companies. And then when phase one nutrition presented themselves to me, I loved the nature of their branding. I felt like their products that they had available could immediately help me and my physique. And it was something that I was excited to attach myself to. Yeah, so to your point with that too, I'd like to hear now have any of those other three or four brands, you know, popped off in any way. Well, um, one of them is Jack's Nutrition, which for a while they actually were carrying Chris Bumstead. So, you know, there were times when I found myself wondering, would it have maybe had been more sensible to be on a brand where I could say, oh, I was a teammate of a classic physique, Mr. Olympia. But as we all know, he's come and gone from two or, you know, two or three different companies. Now he has his own line. Now he's affiliated with Raw Revive. And, um, So, yeah, you know, ultimately, I'm extremely, extremely glad that I made the decision that I made for me. Mm -hmm. And I didn't make a decision based off of trying to affiliate with somebody else because that would have been a terrible decision for me. Sure. You You got yourself too, because you talked about, you know, it was an evaluative process and, you know, you had got, you had earned the, the, uh, ability to look at a company and decide for your, you know, a lot of people just take the first thing that comes to them, but because you had, you'd built up the credibility over a long period of time, you were able to, you know, look at it more like a partnership. You you hadn't just started, you know what I mean? Like most people, when they just get started and they get thrown an ambassadorship or something like that, right. They think like, oh man, this makes me feel like I belong here. You yeah. know what I mean? And you already knew you belonged. I've always yeah. respected you for that. I've always really respected the way that you represent those brands. I think it's just really important in this life to be true to yourself and to know yourself inside and out. And I know that about me, if anything feels like a chore, I'm not going to be very good at it and I'm not going to be able to give my best effort. So yeah. I knew that if I attached myself to a brand that I didn't believe in or their products didn't suit me or their advertising drift wasn't in line with what I believed in or what I felt, I knew it would ultimately feel like a chore and they wouldn't get the best out of me and I wouldn't put my best foot forward and it wouldn't end in a way that I would be proud of. So, you know, again, I'm just really glad that I made the decisions that I made and there's not a day that goes by where it feels like a chore to tell somebody about phase one nutrition or to let somebody know that, you know, I'm wearing dead North clothing or, um, you know, another I guess I'll bring this up. This is another company I'm affiliated with. Now I'm not actually sponsored by them. It's an ambassadorship, but Mm -hmm. uh, it's an opportunity just to tell people about a great product. Uh, The flavor gang sauces that I use. You guys probably seen. Oh, I have seen you. You guys probably seen me putting those on every single meal. Yeah, I'm so freaking passionate about those sauces. Uh, I'm good friends with the owner who runs the brand. His name's Ross Flanagan. Uh, He's an IFBB pro. Uh, He's about to make his pro debut uh, at the Indy Pro here in three or four weeks. But yeah. Alongside being a professional bodybuilder, he actually crafted a line of low-calorie sauces, hot cereals, and spices. And I was just a, uh, yeah. an consumer, avid, an yeah, avid yeah. consumer who liked to promote and tell people about these products. And you know, when I have friends that are succeeding and doing things that are above and beyond and extraordinary, I like to support them. And that's what he was doing. And just through that genuine nature, I actually you know was able to pick up an affiliate ambassadorship with them and because I'm so genuine about posting about it. My code does pretty well. So Uh here's a chance to tell another audience about it. You guys uh, hop on Instagram, check out flavor gang official. Um, If you've been struggling to um, stay on plan with your current macros, your current meal plan, 
a lot of times that boils down to the food preparation process and whether or not it tastes, tastes good, good and whether or not it generates any actual salivation in your mouth before you take that first bite. Promise you guys are going to love these. So hop on Flavor Gang Official. There's like 10 or so sauces. All of them are 10 calories or less. Wow. Use code TIDEJORDAN. And it's going to change your life. So Dude, I awesome, man. I, these, these, are these sauces relatively affordable too? They are relatively affordable. Good. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. And you've got to definitely, uh, you know, stay in line with the measurements, you know, like any condiment, you know, you can go crazy with them, but you know, you use those measurements, you use your food scale, just like you would with your regular macros and it's going to fit right into your plan. You're going to have to try that for the protein bros these. reviews. Dude, I, uh, I'm a big fan. If you're anything like me, which you've dieted down to really low body fat percentage more than me, but when you're dieting, did you ever go to, before you were affiliated with that brand, did you go to the sauce aisle and just sit there and just look at, look at different calories that were on sauces for like an hour? <laughs> yeah. And you know, and, and past preps, you know, I found myself getting in trouble with sauces that were either like way too loaded up on the artificial sweeteners that mess with my digestive tract or, you know, going way too crazy with things like honey mustard or sriracha, which have sugar, you know, they have sugar in them, but you know, these companies can selectively advertise in a manner that would suggest that they don't have calories yeah. or sugar. one teaspoon or, you know, versus right. two but tablespoon. If, if you're using a third of a bottle for every bowl of fish and uh, asparagus, you know, you're adding 30 grams of sugar to your meal. So, yeah. um, you know, all of these sauces will make sure that you're not sneaking too many hidden calories in there. So, uh, you know, very proud to let you guys know about those flavor gang sauces. Jump nice. on them. I want to, I want to ask about, uh, your last prep because we had a really good conversation about that before we turned the mics on. Yeah. And, um, there's so much to be, I mean, I feel like you have so much you can teach others that are listening right now, especially if they're getting into bodybuilding, right? Yeah. So there's a couple things I want to touch on. Um, you have an amazing marriage. You know, I think a lot of people, you know, look at how you guys do things and, and you know, and aspire to, to, to have a, such a tight knit relationship with their wife. Like you guys do. She's also a, a very highly decorated competitor as well. For so sure. For everybody who doesn't know. Absolutely yeah. right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So my wife, Ariana Garcia, if you guys are not familiar with her, um, Ariana Jordan now, um, she is a decorated bikini competitor now working her way into the figure division of the NPC. Um, but she, to her credit has two top six national placings, which is a first call placing, which means that she was vying for the IFBB pro card as a bikini competitor, um, on actually three separate occasions, forgive me, three separate occasions. So mm -hmm. has come very close to knocking on that IFBB door, but she's so infatuated with this bodybuilding process, just like I am, you know, the day in day out process of training, eating the meals, building the muscle that she has found more satisfaction in wanting to continue this process into the figure division, uh, simply because there are no, uh, you know, inherent ceilings to physical development, like there are in the bikini division, you know, right. she loves to just train and lift weights in the bikini division. There are some limitations on where you can put the muscle on in order to present what is their, um, desired stage look. So mm -hmm. that's where my wife finds herself. But, uh, to your question. Yeah. The thing is with, with you two, this last prep is, is a unique one because she was not prepping at the same time. Uh -huh. A lot of times you guys have done the preps together to make right. things a little easier. We have done that a couple of times. So with this being, um, you know, 20 week prep, uh -huh. you know, you started just to give everybody, you know, today's date of recording is April 21st, 21st. Yeah. Right? So we actually started before Thanksgiving. Before Thanksgiving. Yes. Okay. So she has lived, you know, alongside you for roughly six months now mm -hmm. um, of being alongside you, but also being able to have a little more freedom. Uh -huh. Right. So how do you guys make that work and what kind of, um, you know, hacks or any kind of tricks to the trade that you can teach others? Because I think everybody wants to have a strong relationship. You yeah. Know? 
you know, I think we're a great, great example for the fitness industry in that we absolutely are a couple that has and can successfully make competing at the same time and both being uh, high-level competitors with professional aspirations successfully work. Um, I think a lot of that boils down to who we both are as people. Um, I think we're both in the fitness industry for the right reasons and that we both have a pure love and a pure passion for it. We're not both out here looking for the end game clout that comes from the process as a result. Um, but yeah, this was an interesting process for sure. And that this was actually the first time that I have been the one um, deep into the contest prep while she's been off season. Um, we've had those roles flip before. And we've also gone through a couple of preps where we've done it from start to finish together. Um, you know, targeting some of the same shows. This was an interesting one in that, um, you know, we did a little bit of family traveling to start the process off early in the year. Um, you know, this prep dated back to Thanksgiving and Christmas. So uh, it was certainly difficult to spend a lot of time around the families with me being the one not able to fully indulge, you know, me being half, having to have the discipline and the restraint. Bringing your um, own meals. Bringing and, your own yeah. meals, you know, traveling and doing all of that on the road. So that was definitely challenging for me. Um, but not any type of big hurdle for either one of us to get over. Um, I would say ultimately, though, the deeper part of the prep process, I think it's always hard on everybody. Um, there's no getting around getting in true contest shape is a difficult, difficult equation. Um, and I think it's a little bit easier for two couples or for a couple to be able to do that when both people are fully aware of what that process feels like. And for sure. And there's that deep understanding of what both people are going through. But there is no way I would have been able to make it through this process without her picking up where I was slowly um, not able to perform at the highest, highest level in terms of just keeping everything going around the home um, while maintaining, you know, both of my businesses as satisfactory as I would like to. So, um, she was incredibly, incredibly supportive, and I don't know what I would have done without her um, in that process, especially, again, the last month. Um, gosh, you know, it's interesting. I guess I really haven't even had a chance to really sit and, like, reflect on, um, you know, some of those sacrifices that she made, you know, in order to see me get to this point. And, you know, that's what it kind of boils back to. What I said, you know, when you get off stage, you start thinking about, um, you know, all of the people that played a role in helping you get to where you got to. And, you know, you want to pour back into those people as much as you can once that process is over. Um, so now I find myself here live on this podcast kind of in uh, a moment of reflection of that. But, you know, as I think about it all, um, I don't know if I would have been able to make it through that process with anybody else but her. You know, she was incredibly understanding um, you know, anybody who knows the intricate parts of this prep knows that my calories were extremely, extremely low towards the end of the process, you know, trace fats, trace carbohydrates, extreme amounts of cardio while still trying to main, maintain my, um, you know, my responsibilities to both of my businesses. And she really took on a lot, you know, so I would say that, um, make sure that if you're in a serious relationship with somebody as a competitor, make sure that that person knows what they're getting into, both from the start of the process and help them understand what the end game process looks like. And 
I think that ultimately boils down to like a bigger picture lesson to probably pass on everybody is make sure the people in your life understand the nature of the process in its entirety from start to finish and make sure that they're at peace with that process before you take them down that road. So right. while I'm acknowledging that this process was a challenge on both myself as well as my wife, especially deep in the confines of the prep as we got closer and closer to show day, there was never a point in time where my wife had any misgivings about where it was going or that it was going to get to that place. You know, she knew that at some point, you know, I wasn't going to have enough energy to, you know, keep up with, you know, all of the household dishes and laundry and chores as well as, you know, keeping the businesses afloat the way that I needed to. And she was ready and willing and capable of picking up that slack. But, you know, if you're just promoting, you know, the fun, frilly parts of the bodybuilding lifestyle, you know, to your significant other, but you're not upfront and honest with them about where you have to go mentally and physically to make this process work, then you're inviting a situation where a lot of things can fall out from you at the absolute worst time if your foundation with your people is not solid. The, so, uh, the phrase that, I, I, that, that this reminds me of so much so is if you were in a relationship dynamic where you guys are walking side by side, whereas she's also competed, mm-hmm. then she understands the, what the battlefield is like. Yeah. And, um, you know, to, to give it like, a, I don't know, maybe a good, um, analogy here. It's like the coaches are going to pull the quarterback out with, you know, two minutes left in the game. Right. You know, and she knows what it's like to be in the game with two minutes left. 100%. So, she, so she's going to say, stay in, I'm going to, I'm going to handle this shit. 100%. So, and that's what I mean when I say that, uh, you know, I said it a couple times already that I couldn't have done this with anybody, but her to be able to know that I had that undying level of support beside me and behind me, that's what allows you to really be able to capably go all in and not have any misgivings about, you know, the fallout from that, you know, so eternally grateful for her, eternally indebted for her to be able to walk that walk with me and help me get there. And, you know, a huge amount of disappointment within my heart for, you know, the disappointing, the result that comes from this past weekend after knowing how much she sacrificed to help me get to where I was trying to go. Mm -hmm. But again, I would say to the broader audience, if you find yourself in a relationship that means anything to you, and I don't just mean a relationship with a significant other, but I'm talking about your relationships with your friends, your family, clients, if you have any type of personal business, um, any peer circle that means anything to you, make sure those people understand what you're doing and the direction of where this process goes and the fact that this process will inherently draw you into an inward spear where your focus will slowly start to narrow and tighten and tighten. And you have to be able to articulate that to the people that matter to you and let them understand that my narrowing focus doesn't mean that I care less about you. It simply is the manner in which one has to be to be successful in this endeavor. And you have to make sure those people in your life are comfortable and capable with you going to that place for short periods of time to achieve what you're trying to achieve. Or again, like I said, the bottom is going to drop out from you at the worst time. And, you know, I've seen it happen to so many competitors and it breaks my heart when I see guys go through or, or girls, you know, go through breakups and divorces or separations, you know, deep in the process 
And, you know, then you see competitors saying, you know, I'm just going to go into my dark place and, you know, I'm just going to grind this out and it's just me, myself, and I. And it's never a good finish unless you win the whole show. You know, there's always a little bit of post-show blues and disappointment that comes with that. The last thing you want to do in such an individual sport is to set yourself up to not only have to deal with the the post-show blues that come with not being that one person that won the whole show. Because trust me, if you're not that person that won the whole damn thing, there's going to be some post-show blues. Even if you were like the second place, the runner-up, you know, there's going to be a little bit of an emotional fault to deal with. And the last thing you want to do is to have to deal with that with, say, a crater in your life from a missing significant other or a cratering business or no job prospect or, you know, bad dealings with your sister or your brother or your parents. You know, you want to make sure that you protect all of those relationships from the outset of the process so that those people know that your intentions are pure. Even when you're two weeks out, laser focused, can't see anything besides, you know, the next workout, the next posing, the next no-carb meal, you know, there's points in the process where you're almost hour by hour, you know, people will ask you, how do you feel? And you're just like, I just want to eat my next eight ounce of fish, you know, like (laughs) ask me after I've had eight ounces of fish and 50 grams of asparagus, you know, like I'm just trying to get to the next meal, you know, so that's when you're getting to those really dark spots, right? Yeah. Where it's like uh, everything in between is just meal to meal. Yeah, yeah. So for some of us, you know, we have to go there. And again, I caution everybody, like the contest prep process is truly an individual experience for everybody. Where I had to go might not be where you have to go and vice versa. But just make sure the people that you care about, make sure your people that you love know what you're getting into and know what they're getting into alongside of you. And that's going to set yourself up for a much better prep process and a much better post prep process. You know, like I told my wife so many times, give me like one day of eating like a normal person and in every way, shape or form, I will remind you of that person that you happily said I do too. (laughs) And, you know, I was able to follow through on that with just, you know, one good meal and uh, everything's been very merry and great ever since we've uh, gotten home from St. Louis. You know, we're very happy and just as in love as we've ever been. You know, she's actually off work today, and as soon as we get done, we're going to go out to the park, have a nice walk, maybe have a cheat meal. I don't know. Exciting, man. But, uh, What's know, that cheat meal going to be, you think? You know, with a beautiful sunny day like today, I'm thinking it's either going to be barbecue or, like, street tacos or something. Yeah, find yeah. a patio yeah, somewhere, barbecue right? barbecue or street tacos. But Man, uh, that's, but, a good, oh, that's a good leeway, but we can't go there yet. Well, I was going <laughs> to yeah, I was gonna ask... Um, because, I mean, I see him and his family eating Jack Stack every weekend, it seemed like, for a while there. <laughs> I do live next door to Jack Stack Barbecue, so yeah. that's, uh, that's, a, that's a teaser that's in my life pretty regularly. No doubt. I, I wanted to uh, just briefly talk about, um, you know, so with, with bodybuilding recently, you have Cedric McMillan, you have Sean Roden, you have, uh, you know, earlier Dallas McCarver and all these IFBB pros um, who are dying early. And 
from a guy who I grew up loving bodybuilding, like, I don't know about what got you specifically into bodybuilding, but uh-huh. I had an animal poster and it was Frank McGrath and it was freaking huge ass legs wearing a hoodie. Yeah. And it was like, it was what I had on my wall and I just fell in love with bodybuilding. You know, I've competed in bodybuilding. It, it would, it sucked up a lot of my life, you know, in my early twenties Yeah, and to see like Cedric McMillan, who is one of my favorite bodybuilders, just from a personality standpoint and a physique standpoint, a top Olympian, um, go down. It kind of hit me in a way that was like, man, what do we got to do to like get it straightened out? Do you think that, do you think that these things are going to change the trajectory of the way that people take care of themselves with health supplements and blood work and routine, um, things that go into, to, um, you know, basically living healthy lives post, um, post bodybuilding career? You know, do you keep up? Well, with a lot that? of these deaths are I, happening during the bodybuilding careers. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, Cedric, he was he he was sick, and I don't know if you saw that uh, interview where he was like laughing about like, oh, I was in the hospital and blah blah blah, and like, dude, now looking back at that interview, like, breaks your heart. I have a ton to say on this subject, so mm-hmm. uh, hopefully you guys have plenty of time. <laughs> um, We're buckling in. Yeah. So uh, let's first go ahead and dial it back to you know kind of the origins of the love for the sport of bodybuilding. Uh, mm-hmm. Kyle, I like you fell in love with it from an extremely young age. Um, you know, I talked to you guys kind of about my background as you know a child with low self esteem. Uh, you know, I grew up with a single parent. You know, I was raised by my mom. Uh, you know, was overweight as a kid. Didn't really like myself very much, but from a very young age, you know, when my mom would take my sister and I out to grocery stores and things like that to do the errands, I found myself in the magazine aisle sitting on the floor, flipping through flex, (laughs) muscular development, uh, muscle and fitness, um, all of those classic magazines, right? So I had an image in my mind and a destiny I was looking to fulfill from an extremely young age. And that destiny and that image in my mind didn't have the understanding or wherewithal of the means in which it would take to achieve such a physique and such a look. So mm-hmm. like you, I fell in love with the sport, the process and the look before I knew what ultimately was required to go into creating said look. So I was almost signed up for it before I even knew what it was. So yeah. once some of the darker parts of the bodybuilding and fitness industry were introduced to me, um, like any overzealous young kid, I was all in for all of it because I just wanted the whole part of the puzzle. I wanted the the whole pie, mm-hmm. you know, and I didn't have any misgivings about what it might take or what I might have to do in order to achieve that because I understood that those things walked hand in hand with the sport. And by things, you know, I'm referring to the performance enhancement side of the sport. Um, but it's been very, very difficult as a young man to watch some of these things transpire within the industry, um, the first, by things, I mean, no disrespect. I'm talking about individuals passing on far too prematurely for any comfort. Uh, the first one that comes to mind was Dallas McCarver in, I mean, he was 25, I think it was 2017 or 2018. And I believe I was actually in a contest prep and I remember it hit me but it didn't hit me in the way that some of these recent ones have hit me in that I was a single male. I was in my mid twenties. I was living fast. I was living free. I wasn't thinking past tomorrow. Um, and it's easy to just make a couple of excuses of, Oh, he probably had some family history issues or, 
you know, he was probably just pushing really hard. So it was yeah, just irresponsible. A, it or, was just a one off, you know, and like, right. you know, rest in peace. But it's no reflection on the industry or reflection on anything that I'm doing. Mm -hmm. But then those things just kept happening and people just kept dying, you know, and then it started something started happening that was a really interesting phenomenon in that it wasn't just retired individuals or individuals that were staying too big in retirement, you know, like the Nasser El Sun bodies and yeah. things like that. But then we started having active individuals within the industry, you know, George, George Peterson, yeah. John Meadows, um, Cedric McMillan, you know, Cedric McMillan was just on stage. Um, I want to say a month after the Olympia last year at the Legion pro show, um, you know, we're losing, uh, obviously, Sean Roden. Sean Roden was even an though, Olympia. Even in, though, or yeah. He won the Olympia in 2018, which was just, not, I mean, a couple right, years you know, ago. Sean Roden, you know, yeah, a Mr. Olympia in 2018. Someone that I actually saw a guest pose 10 weeks out leading into that Olympia and met him, took a photo with him and everything. You know, we started losing people that were in their 40s, you know. Um, it, there was something different about when we were losing the, the, the competitors that had retired, but were staying too big and, you know, they were in their fifties, you know, it was easy to say, well, that's a lifestyle choice. They should have just, uh, they should have just downsized. They should have stopped their PEDs. They should have mm -hmm. lowered their protein or whatever. It was still easy at that point in time to kind of brush it up under the rug and suggest that, well, it's a one-off, it's a lifestyle decision, but it has nothing to do with the active competition side. But then we started losing individuals that were still actively involved in the sport, like we just said, George Peterson, John Meadows, Cedric McMillan, individuals that were in their 40s, not in their 50s, you know, individuals that were still carrying around the pro muscle, still carrying around aspirations of getting on stage, you know, in the next six to 12 months. And those are the moments that really force you to take an introspective look at what you're doing, what your involvement in the sport is, the decisions that you have made and where things are going for you. And um, to the Cedric McMillan loss, that actually occurred in my peak week. And, you know, when we lose people in the sport, whether it be Cedric or when we lost Luke Sando, um, you know, that was someone that we didn't lose from a, you know. Um, suicide, right? Yeah, so Luke Sando, unfortunately, we lost him to suicide. And, you know, I do still consider that a bodybuilding death in that anybody who, you know, was able to talk about who Luke was as a person and knew Luke intimately knows that a lot of his demons that he dealt with were related to the bodybuilding and to the psychological wars that we competitors go through, uh, you know, and wondering, you know, are we good enough and are we going to be good enough? And, you know, things like self-worth and um, all that comes with the high level bodybuilding and all of the eyes that go with it. And so I consider that a bodybuilding loss as well. But my point is whenever those losses occur, I typically will take a moment and step back from social media for a day. I won't post. I'll stay off. I'll just kind of reflect and think. And it was really, really difficult to have that go down during a peak, a peak week, week yeah. of, you know, you know, a peak week that kind of marks my 10th year doing this sport. You know, I'm 31 now. Um, you know, this is my first prep I've gone through where I'm actually married and, you know, I have a, you know, a significant other that's going to be with me for the rest of my life that, mm -hmm. you know, every decision that I make is, you know, her life is de facto, you know, factored into that and will be affected by those decisions. So, you know, when I found myself, you know, in the middle two spots on stage and then I 
heard the head judge move me to the outside of the group of four, you know, my first thoughts were, I hate to say, you know, being on stage in the moment of competing because I'm still giving it my all. But my first thoughts are, is this worth it? Is potentially setting myself up for some of these risks and pitfalls that come with being involved in this sport at the highest level and giving it everything I've got, you know, to the bitter end, is it worth this here and now? Mm. And so that's what I've been kind of working through over the last few days. Sure. Ultimately weighing, does my love and satisfaction for bodybuilding at all levels, is it worth it to continue to pursue it at such a level when I see that this is a potential outcome for me in 10 or 15 years? So, Mm. um, Again, it's a tough thing to talk about because this sport has given me so much and I love it to its core. And I can't impress enough how individualistic every part of this sport and every part of this process is from the nature of your prep to the nature of your off season to the nature of how long it's going to take you to acquire a level of muscle that will be satisfactory in order to be successful. Every facet is going to be different. You know, some athletes are going to go through a prep eating a cheeseburger every Saturday. Some athletes are going to achieve professional level stage muscle by age 24. Some athletes are going to go through a prep eating fish and asparagus for 10 weeks. Some athletes are going to go through this process not achieving an appreciable level of stage muscle that could ultimately result in a stage win until they're mid to late 30. So it's almost unfair in how unequitable this sport is in terms of effort put in Mm -hmm. and what you get out of it and that's why it's so genetically and individually driven but with all of that being said you know there are some common denominators that are pretty obvious to the plain eye that i think we can all see that are you know an obvious factor to some of these unfortunate events in the sport you know things like extremely high body weights um things like individuals competing deeper and deeper into their um, middle adulthood. You know, Mm -hmm. like, for instance, most people don't know that, like, say, Lee Haney and Arnold Schwarzenegger were coming up on their seventh and eighth Mr. Olympia titles in their early 30s and were already hanging it up, you know, hanging up the competitive trunks in their early 30s to go on and do other things. Some of that has to do with the level of talent and quality of those individuals from past years, whereas because this fitness industry has grown so much and it's grown so big, you have a wider pool of individuals doing it. And with that, you have a lot more less talented individuals throwing their ring into the hat. So a lot more individuals where it's going to take more years, more food, more PEDs, more things of that nature to try to be competitive with, say, some of the people that were more inherently destined to do the sport yeah and then you also have to factor in the development of the sport has gone to a place where it simply takes longer to build that pro worthy physique because the physique that could win a mr olympia in 1988 when lee haney was the title winner was 230 to 240 pounds whereas now you have to be 260 to 270 pounds so there's more years that it takes to get to that competitive level there's more individuals doing it that aren't as genetically blessed to be doing it and thus are forced to push oh. harder with food, with PEDs, spend more time doing it. 
all of these things factor into what is an unfortunate like future health situation. You yeah. Know? And, and I want to make think- this clear for this for, for our listeners, because you mentioned nowadays for you to be um, you know highly competitive on the Olympia stage in bodybuilding you're at heavyweight. I mean, you're looking at 260, 270 pounds and that's on stage. That's, for people on, to, that's so on stage. That's for everybody to understand. That's on stage. So how, how much are these people weighing walking around? And that, and that's, and that takes me to my next point. So as I factor in what I want to do with my own self and where I get, you know, ultimate life satisfaction and what I enjoy doing versus risk reward, I have to determine, is there is the risk reward ratio worth it for me? Because I know that as someone who is a six foot bodybuilder, um, who's already, you know, off season weight, you know, pretty comfortable, 285, 295 pounds. I still do not have enough qualified stage muscle to compete at the level that I would ultimately like to compete at. You know, um, just for reference point, you guys, um, five eleven is six foot bodybuilders. I'm a six foot bodybuilder. Tall typically compete on stage nowadays at about 280 to 285 pounds. Uh, my favorite bodybuilder right now, Sergio Oliva Jr. You know, he builds in right at about 280 at six foot. So, is he really that tall? Yeah, and, wow. he's, and he's 5'11 and a half. So I'm yeah. a little bit taller than him. I'm mm-hmm. about six foot and a half. So, um, you know, Sergio off-season weight pushes 310, 315. Um, most of the guys who are my height, my structure, um, I can think of a couple that come to mind. I know at this very moment in the deep stages of their off season, they weigh 325 to 335 pounds. And whether that's in quality condition or whether that's not in such good condition, understand that the body and the heart and the organs receive that stress all about the same. And it's probably potentially more stressful for that to be muscle rather than say body fat uh, at such an extreme weight, because that muscle needs to be supported by blood flow, which inherently works the heart harder than say carrying 300 pounds of fat. You know, that fat doesn't need to be circulated with blood from the heart. So the heart works harder to carry blood through the muscles and the extremities of that 300 plus pound bodybuilder. And you also have to factor in, this is something that a lot of people really don't even think about, but a lot Just of be, people being in the being in the gym and training really hard creates a lot of waste and byproduct, which as a result, your internal organs like your kidneys and your liver have to have to process and uh, function that out of the body. So kidneys even just, are a big thing for bodybuilding. Yeah. You know, you got yeah. Boston Lloyd, who um, he recently passed away, too. He wasn't a pro, but a guy that I had followed for a long time. Yeah. Well, and, there's another rabbit hole because uh, a lot of people probably don't know. I actually worked with Boston for about a year and a half. Did you really? I did. Yeah. Man, I actually I'm sorry. worked with Boston from 2019 to early 2020. And I actually ceased working with him about a month after he went public with his kidney infection and his kidney disease that ultimately um, led to his demise. And... Um, you know, he was me, only 29. Yeah. And right? for me that, yeah, he was only 29. He was younger than I, and that yeah. was a moment where it was just like, wow, writing on the wall here, you know, I'm getting supplement advice from somebody that has walked themselves into stage four, stage five kidney failure mm-hmm. in the early twenties, which is unprecedented, you know, absolutely unprecedented in terms of, you know, you would actually have to try just to do not, that much damage to your kidney sure. to be able to achieve that much kidney damage at such a young age. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of the first, you know, take a step back moment for me where I really started to kind of have almost a midlife crisis as it pertained to 
high level bodybuilding in yeah. my pursuit of it. Um, when you initially got into this though, and I'm, and I apologize to cut you off there, but it's like, when you got into this, this is what I was going to say. You've put so much unbelievable thought into all of the variables that go into what your ultimate goal is. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people, of course, when they got into it, they didn't think that deep into it, of course. Right. right? But it's crazy in the sense of like, here you are 10 years in and you're thinking, you know, I'm, I'm just, you know, a stop along the way on this journey. I still got so much more to go. And I'm just saying like the amount of caution that you're, you know, heeding to people, I think is amazing yeah. and unbelievably uh, responsible. You know what I mean? Just because yeah. you, you're achieving something at a high level right now. And you know, there's still obviously levels you need to get to or that you want to get to. Right. Um, but there's people that, you know, have been doing this for a year and they're loving it and, they're, and, they, and they should, and it's cool. You know, it makes them feel great, but it's like, Hey man, this is where this goes. This is where this is heading. Just right. so you know, I think yeah. it's, it's important too that, you know, so for me, when I competed, you know, I, I quickly realized that I was tall and I also didn't have your genetics, right? Mm -hmm. And so what I mean by that is that uh, I could go, I could do whatever and I wasn't going to be a pro. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And I, I recognize that relatively early. Um, and I think that there's a lot of people out there that might not recognize that early. You know what I'm saying? And, yeah. and it, it, like what you were saying with strongman is like, you know, these guys are 400 pounds. Right. Yeah. That ain't going to be me. Yeah. I'm not six five. And you know? and you know, with bodybuilding, it's it's relatively easy to see if you're like honest with yourself. Like me, I was like, well, I'm just, you know, I'm not uh I don't have your no I ha don't have your shoulders, I don't have your triceps, I don't you know, and I'm not going to probably. You uh -huh. know what I'm saying? And so I was I was I tried to be as honest with myself in that moment as I possibly could. And I see a lot of people that aren't honest with themselves. And the unfortunate thing is, you know, Boston, if you are you already know this, but Boston was the king of putting out things that you're like that is absurd as right. far as like drug protocols, PED stuff that he would be doing on himself. And a lot of people read that that might have my genetics, and they say, "Well, that's the key. That's mm. it. You know, I just need to do that, and right. that'll change everything." Um, and I think though, if, if I could say that one thing that that's been positive, I guess there's nothing positive about people passing away, but I, I see more, more and more people now, um, checking their, their, you know, blood pressure on a regular basis, getting blood work done on a regular basis. That doesn't, if you're what you can learn from his mistake, yeah, if you, you know? it doesn't really cover that doesn't take away the, the damage that can be done. And a lot of times the damage that are being done to hearts are, you know, it's hard to really monitor or understand, you know, if there's thickening of the heart that's happening, it's like, yeah, you can get your blood work done, your blood work can look okay, but you know, is your heart thickening over time? Yes. Um, and so, you know, I just think that, with with you know Cedric and 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 you know Sean Roden, I just see more people posting about it. I feel like it's been um, it's been brought to light a lot better. Um, so it's good to hear your perspective on it because it's definitely you know something that's that's a, a kind of cloud over the bodybuilding industry right now. And, and things just continue to grow. You know what I mean? I just went to a pro show in Salt Lake City to see uh, my buddy Justin. You know Justin Williams. Justin Williams. It yeah. was his pro debut, and so we surprised him out there uh -huh. and uh, had a lot of fun. But you know, seeing these physique guys on stage weighing 210, 220, 220 pounds on Look, stage. Looking like full-blown bodybuilders. And you're like, I was about to say, course, you put different pr trunks on them and some of yeah. those guys. Well, yeah, I will, and, and some of them are hiding legs under those Right, trunks, right. So. Yeah. Justin, to his credit, definitely had the biggest legs out of all these guys. Yeah, I've seen him and, in the gym squatting. He's got wheels. He's got wheels for sure. And, and not a lot of these guys did, but I mean, they were monsters yeah. on stage doing physique. And I was like, that wasn't the spirit of physique I, when it started. Don't get me wrong. 210 pounds on stage is huge. Huge. Yeah. Huge. Me, You're 240 me, in the, you know, off season. Yeah. I mean, let me point. like impress upon people. Chris Bumstead, who was our classic physique, Mr. Olympia. Yeah. He actually went pro as a bodybuilder in the heavyweight class 
at 5'11 or 6 foot, 217 pounds. So seven pounds bigger than what you're talking about. And he went pro as a bodybuilder. So that just right. speaks to the evolution of the sport, even within just the last couple of even years. Even bikini, you, you know, know what I mean? Just crazy. Like, yeah. Although in the last um, six, seven years. Yeah. You know? But Kyle, I really want to hit on what you're talking about in the direction of the industry. And one of the huge differences from then to now um, and I think it really speaks to the actual positivity and the health of the sport going forward is the conversation that we're capable of having about this said subject. You know, mm-hmm. 10 years ago when we lost somebody, uh, you know, the people who were kind of in charge of the sport, who had voices that kind of carried the overall tone and reflected the bodybuilding industry as a whole was more along the lines of let's kind of sweep this up. Let's pay our condolences. Let's pay our respects. Let's focus on the individual's life, but let's not pay any focus on the individual's passing or what led to said passing. And I think that really kept the sport in a really dark place for a really long time. And I think there's been a major turn of events. And I really appreciate the leadership of some of the individuals in the sport who are kind of leading the ground on that. But, you know, I think the conscientious approach towards health has made a major, major um, advent into the fitness industry. You know, I think a lot of the coaches, um, there's not a lot of coaches who can get away with just running X's and O's and not paying mind to people's health anymore because it's a subject that's out there for everybody to know. And there are so many good coaches who are making a living off of not only successfully prepping athletes, but prepping athletes in a healthy way where they can reflect good blood work, show that they're healthy through different parts of the year. Um, it's almost becoming the new standard in the industry. And it's something that um, which is I've, great. I've really adopted myself. Mm-hmm. Um, anybody who works with me knows that you don't get to work with me without um, me checking up on your biofeedback markers. You know, if you're going to be an athlete of mine, you know, I'm looking at your blood pressure. I'm having you run blood work two to three times a year at minimum. Um, I'm having you run blood work the second anything pops up that seems unusual or um, out of sorts or out of order. Um, you know, I've got my athletes checking their resting heart rate. We're monitoring the quality of their sleep, digestion. We're keeping stress in focus. You know, I find that that's not only the way to uh, mitigate some of these potential like health disasters that, you know, I think, uh, unfortunately, the sport seems to be blindly walking into based off of past practice. But I also think we're finding that that's also a strategy to bring a higher quality athlete. You know, I actually think a healthier athlete is going to be a better performing athlete. You know, um, I'm even finding that, you know, within my own bodybuilding experience, but I think, yeah, as a whole, you know, when it comes to achieving like proper stage condition, um, you know, someone who is internally healthier is going to be more successful than someone whose body is fighting against them, you know, in terms of their kidney, liver health, uh, you know, heart health. If the body's fighting against you, you know, you're only going to have so many good years of doing this before it really, really starts to rear its ugly head. So um, in that sense, I think the sport's going in a good place. I think something else that's probably a good overall direction for the sport is the high degree of success that the classic physique division is having. Um, now, I don't think anyone has any misgivings about how hard those guys are pushing. I'm sure those guys are pushing on a similarly um, aggressive level as the open bodybuilders you know these guys have amazing physiques they're huge they're ripped they're shredded so let's not pretend like they're not playing with performance enhancers yeah, it's not any level. easier yeah. but i think something that's really supporting um 
their approach of the classic physique in terms of a more health conscious uh, positioning is that there is the inherent weight cap. And I think what we're finding is whether you're a big PED user or not, whether you're a big eater or not, whether you've spent a lot of time doing this or not, one of the worst things you can do is carry extremely high levels of body weight for extended periods of time. So for sure. to your guys' question about how it pertains to me, it's a really, really tough situation to kind of pick apart and knowing that in order to make the, phys- the physique improvements that I think I need to make, I do need to allow my body weight to come back up a little bit. But that's what we are starting to realize is some of the inherent danger that's going to catch up with you long term. So, you know, you have to ask yourself, um, is the juice worth the squeeze? Right. You know? And even in your evaluative process of I could do everything and say my shoulders aren't going to look like ties or my, my triceps aren't going to look like ties. I'm playing that same game myself of, mm-hmm. you know, I can take X, Y, Z and it's not going to correct the fact that I still have a pec tear and I can take X, Y, Z or get to 320 pounds and it's not going to change the fact that, like my waist is still what it is which is not the smallest waist on stage you know so i'm even playing that objective evaluative game of like is the juice worth the squeeze right. you know right. yeah. is it worth undertaking more potential stress more potential long-term risk potentially shaving off some of the back end years of the life um for said uh, uh stage improvements so it's something that i'm constantly in battle with but um, on the flip side, you also have to remember that you want to live a life worth living, you yeah. know, and I, I'm not a huge fan of the whole, you know, lion or sheep thing. I'm not an absolutist where it's like, it's one or the other, you know, in full extremism. But at the same time, I don't think you can happily live your life constantly scared or happily live your life with the end goal of just trying to get to 85. I don't think that's any way to live either. Yeah. Sure. You know, so I think everybody has to assess this equation on an individual level. Um, but to your point, I think it's important that we're having these conversations. And I think it's important for young guys to be able to approach guys like me and potentially ask, what do you think of my, uh, you know, my future potential for this sport? And things like that, just so there's not so much delusion that goes into that process. You know, sure. you'd hate for somebody that has no potential future prospects or pro aspirations to be gunning this just as hard as say I've been gunning it for the last few years. You know, yeah. you, you you would want to speak some words of wisdom to that individual to maybe just focus on enjoying the training, focus on enjoying uh, the discipline nature of the process, and maybe not carry all the extremes that go with it. You know, right. you would well, like dude, that person to yeah. at least have that presented to them. Sure. You, you, you uh, it's also, it, it's really, if you present it and I, I guarantee you couldn't present it in a bad way, but you know, I'm not going to be an NBA player. You know what I'm saying? None of us right. are going to be it, NBA it's players. To, it's, it's easy to tell somebody, Hey dude, you're not going to be an NBA right. player. But for some reason, in bodybuilding, it's it. People take a different type of offense well, to. There's yeah. an innate nature that we can all grow. You know, I mean, there's you guys can, and that's there's fine. IBB pros that you know graduated high school at 135. Right, that's real. Yeah, you know, so it's it's really hard to have but that you, conversation. The thing, the thing about I this kind of goes back to what you were talking about as far as like um you know your inherent flaws that you see in yourself or how you pick yourself apart. There's also you know John Meadows. Do you remember John Meadows? 
was trying to get his pro card. He had a pro card physique and he probably did five or six shows that just somebody else showed up to. Oh, you have no idea that actually yeah. that goes back to like 2010 for him. Yeah. It, I was it about was to say like, it was, it was like, 10 it probably years. It was like 10 years. Yeah. yeah. And so like w- when he finally got it, I was so pumped for him, but you know, you just never know this sport. You don't know who's going to show up. You don't know, you right. know, and he was always peeled to the bone. Right. You know, he didn't have and the best structure, so, but he had a pro structure for sure. So, you know? so with someone like that, you have to ask yourself, and that's when I think of my own personal situation in that. So someone like John Meadows, um, he had achieved essentially a pro physique, you know, maybe a decade before he'd gotten that pro card. You know, he was someone with, you know, he had a lot of inherent flaws to his physique. You know, um, if we went down the list, you know, he had some stomach complications. Structurally, he wasn't put together as soundly as some of the other guys. You know, he kind of had to have a journeyman's physique in terms of, you know, getting by on uh, conditioning, graininess. Super grainy. uh, Just completeness. But, you know definitely wasn't the kind of physique that you would say was like a hallmark, beautiful, uh, a physique you would aspire to have. And you look at someone like that, that had oodles of success on like wall street before they got deep into bodybuilding and has, you know, he created an empire for himself with mountain dog with, training, with the mountain dog training, with his ability to coach athletes, promote the industry, yeah, supplement um, teach people how to bodybuild through training and innovative dieting techniques and stuff you wonder if someone like that would have been better off recognizing all of the gifts that bodybuilding had given him in terms of the ability to have that platform to teach to make uh financial wealth and to provide for his family and to be a fixture in the industry but minus all of the years of essentially killing himself trying to come in shape to win that pro card and you wonder if Somewhere along the way, all of those preps that he went through, you know, the cumulative effect of that was ultimately what uh, led to his demise. Led to his demise in that, you know, I'm sure John Meadows was taking exemplary care of himself in his post-retirement state, even though, you know, he was still enjoying lifestyle bodybuilding. Um, You know, I'm sure that heart attack was the biggest surprise of any to him and his family, but, you know, it's just, I, I, I don't think it has anything to do with what he was doing in the then and now, but I do think it has everything to do with the cumulative stress of what he had done in the past. And so I find myself in not at all a comparable life situation that I have not found myself making millions on wall street and generating content that is making me hundreds of thousands of dollars in the bodybuilding industry. But I have found myself in a situation where my collective years of hard work and effort and toil has put me, put myself in a position to share bodybuilding with others, mm-hmm. make a healthy living at it and to continue to participate in the industry and be happy doing so without any pressure to succeed at a higher level of say a competitor. Yeah. So I find myself at an interesting crossroads where I can simply appreciate the blessings that my hard work and that the bodybuilding industry has granted me with those opportunities those sponsorships that I know I'll still be able to successfully carry whether I continue to compete or not, because most successful sponsorships nowadays really have very little to do with results, results on the contest stage, but more to do with your ability to connect with the broader fitness industry, which 99% of it has nothing to do with the stage. So I have to weigh that side of it and what coming this far in bodybuilding has given me and done for me versus whether 
do I still want to stay on that one track competitor mindset of, you know, I have unfinished business. I've still not presented a physique that I'm truly proud of yet. I still do not feel like I have reached my ultimate potential, which I think is one of the driving forces of my life is just finding out what my ultimate potential in life is and expressing it to its fullest. You know, I'm also someone that doesn't like to start anything and leave it unfinished. So, but then of course you have to weigh the, the risk of falling through with all of those values and that, you know, I'm looking at shaving off potential time off of my life or inviting potential health complications. If I do not navigate the process in front of me as a competitor who still needs to make improvements successfully. So there's so much gray area there. There's so much risk. Mm -hmm. There's so much doubt. And then with that, there's so much potential for a grand story and happiness and potential fulfilling and just the unknown, you know, the ultimate unknown. Because what I do know now is that if I just readily accepted the first option I presented, which is be thankful for the, the blessings the industry has given me, be thankful I have my health, be thankful I have the the physique that my work has given me. And it's a physique that I think I could, you know, keep lean and active and use it in a marketable way separate from say hardcore bodybuilding. Sure. Do I accept that and kind of put an end to that part of my life and then kind of like let it trickle into the next phase of, you know, coaching slash influencing slash healthy lifestyle bodybuilding or do I continue down a place where my heart is very much still deeply intertwined? Yeah. You know, so mm-hmm. I think this will ultimately be interesting for the audience that listens to this, that is very interested in high level bodybuilding and maybe even going through some of this evaluative process themselves to see what unfolds with me and where I go with it. But that's kind of where I find myself day to day is just evaluating all of this and what do I want from this industry and what's, you know, ultimately important for me, what's important for my family, what's best for my family, what's best for my happiness. It's so an much, interesting yeah. thing to consider. It, it's got, really, it's really an interesting way, of, you know, to think about it. It's like, you know, you're basically trying to decide, you know, I mean, it's a, it's just a, it's I a have big, two really major questions for you. Hit it. One, do you see yourself? Cause we talked earlier about you carrying on, a lot more weight and you're going to have to go up and wait if you want to continue. Right. Uh-huh. Um, does that make you consider potentially switching gears because you could potentially go into classic physique and get on stage at 220, 240, like you have been right. And over the uh-huh. last few years and compete at that, at that weight and still walk around like you are now, you know, up to 270, 280 and be okay. Uh-huh. So that's definitely something I've considered, but um, you know, Again, being very objective, I think that's something that it's a hallmark trait of mine, being objective about myself and uh, my potential. I don't think I have high level of potential to make that switch into the classic physique division. Um, Ultimately, I do think my physique is best suited to be in the open class with more tissue on it, you know, to ultimately have the best balanced version of my physique I think I can create. So I do think that writing is ultimately on the wall for me that if I do want to compete at a high level in bodybuilding, it's going to be in the division I find myself in. And it's going to be going through that process of taking my body weight up past where I went last year, which was about 290 pounds 
and probably take it into the 300 to 305 range. So, um, and it's tough too, you know, there's two different ways to look at that. You know, um, you've got some guys that are having some tremendous success right now in the industry. Um, I'll just name them, you know, guys like Nick Walker, guys like Brett Wilkin. And, uh, those are peers of mine. I know them, uh, you know, I would say I'm casual friends with the both of them. You yeah, know, Brett was both, just here, right? Yeah, I've got both of them in my phone book. You know, I talk to them occasionally, but I don't know them on a deep level to know what they've done to achieve their unprecedented level of tissue development and success in the last couple of years. But For those that don't know, Brett Wilkin in 2019 was probably about 200 pounds. 200 pounds yeah. And now he's he's Stage going to be at, Yeah, he is going to be. Well, what did he place in the Arnold? Didn't he place uh, he took, fifth? I think he took fifth or sixth yeah. um, last year as a you know as a debut in the open class. He weighed about two hundred and forty two pounds on stage, and yeah, and he, I think he came up to like two fifty two this year. So you know he's growing at a tremendous rate. You know, just not like, common if for anybody who's who's listening that you know doesn't understand how long this process takes. That's just unheard of, unprecedented. Right. Yeah. So again, not. You don't want to comment it per, exactly on what they're doing without knowing, but it's safe to say that combined with, you know, an unprecedented work ethic and dedication to the process and a no days off approach, it's also probably safe to say that these guys are pushing the throttle a little bit. Yeah. And it's an interesting situation in that you kind of have to decide for yourself. And it's something I would have to decide for myself too, especially after spending the last year being really, really safe and, moderate with all facets of the PED approach and kind of a, you know, a, a crisis response to what I saw go, you know, occur with Boston, you ultimately have to decide for yourself, um, are you going to try and go ahead and just get this done and put this muscle on so that you can be up there with the best in the world? Or are you going to kind of, for lack of a better phrase, kind of play it scared and pussyfooted along and try to just, you know, incrementally put on small amounts of muscle and hope that you know you get there in a a safe healthy manner but you also have to weigh the fact that your competitive lifespan is a short window of time to capitalize not only on when your genetics are prime but also capitalizing on the fact that you're not a marketable athlete if you're just hitting your stride as a as a 40 42 year old bodybuilder right you know a huge reason why Nick Walker and Brett Wilkin are so successful is not just because of the unprecedented amount of muscle they've put on in a short amount of time, but it's because both of them are pretty young and they look pretty young. Yeah. You know, I know Brett is actually a little older than me. Brett's actually 33. I'm 31. Uh, but he looks very young. He has his, his health. He has his looks. Uh, same thing with Nick Walker. He's like 27. His, I remember his seeing wife p- also competes, right? Brett's. Yeah. Yeah. Brett's so wife, right. Ivana is a professional as well in mm-hmm. the figure division. Uh, Ivana Busick, uh, I think she's going to transfer over to the wellness division, but uh, a big part of their success and why they're able to garner financial uh, freedom within the bodybuilding industry is because they're young, they're marketable and they're putting out content to an audience that can connect with them. So, you know, in a risk reward fashion, you've got to respect that approach too. And that, you know, maybe they're pushing a little bit harder than some people, but they might both find themselves in a a position where at 37 or 38 years old, they can be done with this and move on to other things and then downsize. Whereas what we're seeing is the individuals who are maybe getting there a little bit later and then pushing into their forties, that seems to be where it really, really starts to get risky. So, you know, I even find myself questioning 
maybe I didn't push hard enough the last couple of years. You know, maybe the best thing for me, you know, in this quest of, you know, wanting to attain a pro physique, which, you know, I have no misgivings about my physique. Like I need a Ronnie Coleman level of muscle for my physique to really do, to have the impact that it needs to make. You know, I don't have a small structure. Um, I'm a tall guy. I've got long limbs, but I do have some round muscle and I do have some deep separation, but it's going to take a lot of muscle for my physique to really make the impact that I want it to make. Sure. So I even have to consider that if I were to continue to look at this from a competitor standpoint, does it make sense to just go ahead and just get that muscle on there and just, you know, get real big for a year or two and just be uncomfortable and understand that that time spent is not going to be equitable or fair to my health, but maybe it's better served to just get it over with in the early thirties so that, you know, I think You're anyone not, you can downsize it. Yeah, because any, anybody who has an appreciable level of muscle will tell you it's easier to hold it when you've had it for longer. So, like for instance, you know, I can diet on fish and asparagus for like five meals a day for like weeks and weeks on end, and I'll still have big legs because you know I've had big legs and I built them the right way and I've had them for a really long time. Yeah. Um, whereas, say, like other body parts wouldn't withstand that that extreme dieting process so long um because i haven't had that muscle uh maturity and i haven't accrued that muscle and let it really season and marinate so there's something to be said for just getting it out of the way and putting that muscle on in your youth so that when you're in your older years you're not having to push so much potential peds or eat so much food to hold that tissue like nick walker actually just said on a podcast the other day that everybody would be surprised at how little he has to eat to hold that muscle. You know, you know, the first time I saw Nick Walker was probably, he was probably 16 years old and he was huge. He was saw him at one of the big shows. No, no, it was on a forum or something that it was a picture of him. He might not have been 16. He might've been like 18, Yeah, but he was, he already, he was one of those guys where you looked at him and you're like, all right, dude. Yeah, he's got it. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually remember seeing him at a show uh, yeah. at an expo in 2017 when he was still like 200 pounds. So. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I actually competed with him at the 2020 North Americans where he went pro. Yeah. And I still remember seeing him backstage. And that was all I needed to see before I even went on stage to know that, like, I'm in way over my head and I need way more time spent accruing tissue if I'm ever going to roll at this level. Yeah. Right. You know, and... You know, you've got to ask yourself, you know, even if I did everything I was supposed to do, can I still roll with that? Mm-hmm. And I don't know. Yeah, yeah there's a, I don't know. This yeah. is the this is the other question I had. And this is a good this is a good one um, because I love having this conversation with you being so fresh. You know what I mean? Like you just had this show last Saturday, uh-huh. right in St. Louis. And if you win that show, do you have this kind of crossroads? Absolutely not. So. That was that was what really put the uh, you know the loss of Cedric McMillan into that extreme focus and into my uh, you know my my thought paradigm of like what what makes sense for me going forward in my evaluative process in that you know literally you know losing one of your role models the week before competing um, knowing that that role model lost their life in the quest of doing what you aim to do you know you have to ask yourself is it worth it to continue to go forward when 
it looks like maybe the sport is showing you that it's not going to open up its doors for you the way that you hoped it would, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, that's a tough thing to take. You know, um, I had full expectations of winning my class and, um, competing vigorously for that overall. You know, I knew there was going to be great guys in some of the other classes, but you know, I have no shame in saying that, like I came into that show expecting to win my class. Like if you're not coming into a bodybuilding show expecting to win your class, you're doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, right. You know, you're doing it wrong. This isn't like a, I mean, yeah, it's a me versus me sport and that you always want to be able to take a stage appearance and compare it to a previous stage appearance and be able to say that you objectively got better. You always want to be able to do that. But um, none of us get up here to be in our underwear in front of 3,000 people and to give 20 weeks of dieting and misery and all that goes with it to not feel like a winner. Yeah, you know, no you, consolation you, prize. You come to win. Yeah, so yeah. I definitely came to win. I didn't get what I wanted. And I not only got the immediate rejection of not getting the win that I fought so hard for, but I felt some of the long-term rejection of, well, if they didn't appreciate what I brought here today after so much work and toil and effort, will it really change if, say, I'm a bigger version of this said physique, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's a tough thing to weigh because um, in some sense, like with some physiques, they improve as they put on more muscle. And other physiques, they put on more muscle and it's just a bigger version of the same physique that got rejected. So, mm-hmm. and you never really know what boat you fall into. I'd like right. to think that I fall into the boat of, as I put on more muscle, my physique actually improves, but um, it's hard to know where that stops. Because right. I think it reminds me of like Kai versus yeah, Phil. It's, you know? it's safe to say that I think every single pro that we all admire and are familiar with in the IFBB reached a level of muscular development where there was a diminishing return effect of putting on more muscle and how it uh, related to their physique. You know, almost all of my favorite physiques in the IFBB had their best year. And with that, there were several years after that where they continued to grow and improve, but it wasn't their best look. So again, it's just hard to even know if I spend two years in the lab, you know, Mm -hmm. putting on that muscle, you know, hoodie on, headphones on, head down, doing the work, putting the food in, you know, getting huge. I don't know if that 15-pound physique that I bring back in, say, two years' time is any more qualified to move on to the next level. It's it's just all a big gamble. And, you know, without even knowing where I stand on that, you have to be damn sure that you're going to be able to enjoy every single day of that process if you're ultimately going to find yourself running that race and potentially dealing with the same disappointment that I just felt this Saturday, two years from now, yeah, you know? So it's like, if I'm going to do it, you know, your heart's got to be in the day to day. It can't just be, well, this wasn't what I wanted, but I have a feeling that like, you know, if X, Y, Z happens and yada, 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 like the result will be different next time. Like that's all cool and good, but, you know, life has to go on in the meantime. So if you're going to continue down the road after a disappointing finish, you've really got to love what you're doing. Yeah. You know, and so there's no doubt about that part for me. If I was to walk out here saying, you know what, I'm only 31. I haven't done my best. A lot of bodybuilders typically don't reach their prime until 34, 35. You know, Ronnie Coleman didn't even win his first Mr. Olympia till 35. 
you know, if I walked away from this thinking of it like that, like I could easily do that and love the process day in, day out. Mm -hmm. And at least, God forbid, something happened to me in 20 or 30 years. You know, at least I could say that I loved the process and I loved what I was doing and I loved the way I was living my life. And the decisions that I had made had had positive correlations and contributions into my life. Because I do know that if I choose to continue down this road that I'm on, that with that comes potential for more business generation and that, you know, I am a commodity within the industry and people are attracted to following the journeys of such individuals that are trying to, uh, you know, have a larger than life, um, you know, persona and, you know, stage physique. And so I don't think it would be just a pure net loss to continue down that road, but it's just, again, it's hard to weigh, yeah, which which juice is worth the squeeze? Exactly, so much different. It's options. so funny you say that yeah. too. Yeah. It's a, yeah, that's a good one there. Which juice is worth the squeeze? Because there's a lot of different ones to choose from right yeah. now. Because you're, you're saying, dude, um, no matter what, I want to say this with the most genuine possible way I could possibly say this. You need to write a book. <laughs> you huh. need to write a book. Okay, you need to. Okay, people need to hear this. Okay, okay, super important what you have, what the experience you've had and the amount that you've been introspective on it. A lot of people, you're saying what a lot of people are thinking, but they never thought of it first. Does that yeah. make sense? They never been conscious of it. And yeah. so you've been unbelievably conscious of every decision you're making and what it's going to do and the ripple effects, et cetera, for so long Yeah, that like these need to be on pages. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm serious. It would be, it would do really yeah. well. Well, I would love yeah. to, uh, you know, have a conversation with you once we get done here about how to ultimately, uh, you know, follow through on something like that because, sure. you know, I'm the kind of person that I feel like I could be successful in a lot of different areas, but I'd agree with I'm that. not ashamed to say that I'm also the kind of person that definitively needs that hand up mm -hmm. to bridge into different sectors of industry and success. You know, I'm someone that, you know, with that hand into a new field can take it and sprint with it, but uh, one of my, I guess you could say flaws or attribute flaws is I kind of like to be shown the way or like led into something before I can take it full stream and run with it. And sure. I don't even know where I would begin with writing a book. <laughs> yeah. You know, I could probably stare at a blank page for like three weeks you and could. not even, I wouldn't even have the confidence to know what is the first word that I'm going to write. I would, I would spend a month tripping myself up on the first sentence of the first chapter and the imposter syndrome and the second guessing that would go into that. Have First you heard thing you need to do is, is brain dump. But yeah. then it's like, I, I also know I'm the kind of person that once that first sentence is laid, Oh yeah. I might work for like eight hours straight. Right. You know, I just need to just, yeah. Yeah. I love I that. I, good, I appreciate man. you said that because yeah. I've had a couple of people tell me I, I should write more. It's dude. It's, it's I, this simple. I like to articulate myself. So. We're on year 15. Do we have 25 years or some shit like that at this point combined in this industry? And I've worked a hundred bodybuilding shows and this is not to take away anything from other bodybuilders or the sport in general, but for the far majority of the bodybuilders that I meet, they are just not articulate. Mm. Um, they are not, they're very street smart typically, but they do not come across well read. And you might be one of the smartest sounding speakers I've met since of anybody I've met. You know what I mean? It's just like you have a gift with that. And it's not just the sound of your voice. It's just how you put your words together. Yeah. And so 
I think that needs to be put on pages. And there's such thing as a ghost writer. You could even hire a ghost writer where you just talk mm-hmm. and they write it down and they make sense of it and they put it in chapters. I really appreciate that. Yeah. You know, and, and thoughts like that. And are, it's for real. Like there's nothing about that. That's, you know, I'm completely sincere on that. Yeah. And you know, thoughts like that are really valuable for me as I assess again, you know, where I'm going, what avenues are available or open to me. Um, but you know, it takes me back to a conversation I was having with you before we got started. And I was laying a lot of praise on you for all the development you've done with not only this podcast generation, this in-home studio, um, this personal home development project you've taken. Some of you people may know, some of you may not, but Jeff completely gutted a house and basically took it from scratch and created a dream home from it where he's running an Airbnb out of it too. And I have utmost admiration for him for doing so. But he did that while being a general manager of the most successful supplement industry um, franchise here within the Kansas City and probably the Midwest region. And there was absolutely zero pause on that. You know, they opened up four or five stores while all of this has gone on, you know. Um, And I've always been the type of person that in order to be successful in life, I've had to pull back in other areas of prowess to drive forward in one. So whatever I decide to do, one of the things that I hope I can grow and develop into is someone that's capable of doing more at the same time. Like say I decide to, continue forward with this bodybuilding pursuit at a high level i'd love to start writing about it now as opposed to do it all in like in in post-reflective type of a state you know yeah i mean it'd be honestly be very easy to get um i would say you know this could be a separate topic completely but to to gain inspiration just listen to this podcast when we're done yeah you could go down and down and down more and more past there and whatever you decide to do man if you quit bodybuilding today we'd still be your biggest fan dude yeah, yeah just so. keep doing what you're I, doing. I think that's I think that's really an interesting subject that I think should be impressed upon a lot of people you know even if that's one of the things we leave people with before we shut it down is you cannot be so self-attached to what it is that you do because it's going to stop you from making the best decision going forward you know if I was not able to remove my personal self Ty Jordan from the bodybuilder then there would be no hope for me to do anything other than to continue down this path, whether, you know, and the, the terrible thing is there are individuals out there that already know they're dealing with, say, uh, certain health complications or uh, potential health risks and things like that, but they don't feel affirmed enough in who they are as a person and what they have to provide um, life, the people that are important to them and themselves to be able to, detach and go in a different direction if that's what life presents to them as what they need to do and i feel feel i feel really affirmed and capable of being able to make that shift in that transition and peel myself ty jordan away from the bodybuilder ty jordan if that's what i need to do for my family for myself for my health whatever it is you know and so i think that's really important for everybody out there is to have your own identity and be your own person separate from what it is that you do, whether it's bodybuilding or what you do for work or what you do for a hobby, because life can change on a dime. And, you know, what you're able to do and what you're able to put forth can change on a dime. You know, I could find out tomorrow that I have some rare condition that I'm not allowed to touch weights again for the rest of my life, or I'm not allowed to touch PEDs, or Uh. I'm not allowed to eat more than two ounces of protein. And you have to be able to pivot and move you know, cause life moves fast. And mm-hmm. I feel like even 
within those challenges, if that was the situation I was faced with it, I'm capable of making that pivot. So I would encourage all of you guys out there that are deep into this thing is still find some other things that you love to do. Find ways to detach yourself from what it is that you do with your hobbies or your job or what you put a lot of time into. And I think that's the key to being able to make the best decision for yourself going forward is not feeling like you have to do something based off of what you've done in the past. You sure. know, like a lot of people would look at what I do now and they would be left with the equation in their head of, well, I've given so much and I've come so far. And I think about that too. I really have given a lot for this. and I've really come really damn far for this. But if I decide that I don't think the juice is worth a squeeze, I don't think the health complications potentially are going to be in line with the expectations of where my physique might be able to go on a national level or a pro or Olympia stage or whatever, I will be able to make that pivot in that transition. And I hope for all of you guys out there that are contemplating your future in competitive bodybuilding and lifestyle bodybuilding and what to do with yourselves that, you know, you can make that same grounded, um, fundamentally healthy decision for you that's best for you, your family, your loved ones that, you know, I feel like I'm capable of doing for mine. Um, I'm also blessed to have someone, you know, in my life, like my wife, that I can have this open aired conversation with. And I already have the peace of mind of knowing that if I decide I want to give bodybuilding more of my heart and soul and my time and my sacrifice, that my wife is actually behind me in doing so. You know, she's aware of the risk, but she's also aware of my heart, you know, and with that, I got, I got one last really uh, strong question for you. And that is if you could talk to one bodybuilder about this mm -hmm. crossroads that you're at and have a conversation to help you make that decision, who would it be? This answer might surprise some of you guys. Um, but I would probably, I wouldn't say a particular person. I, I, what I would actually like to do, this is kind of be kind of an offshoot answer, but hopefully sure. you'll accept it. Yeah. My answer would be, I would love to pull a seminar of all of the guys who have just achieved what I'm trying to achieve. So guys who have gotten the pro card in the super heavyweight class within the last one to three or four years, those are the guys that I would actually like to ask that question to and find out like, where are you guys at in this process? You know, because, you know, once you get that pro card, you know, you're immediately in a position of being the little fish in the big pond. It's kind of like starting and, over. <laughs> and you're immediately faced with the prospect of, okay, now I need to take all of this into another level of overdrive. Like, let's say you went pro and, or, or, and when you were an amateur, your arms were pretty good, but now your arms are just average. And when you're an amateur, you had big legs and now your legs are just average. And when you're an amateur, you were a mass monster, but now you're not, you know, it's like, I want to ask all of those guys, like, how do you guys feel about knowing that like in all facets to make this worthwhile, you need to level the fuck up. <laughs> and how do you feel about doing that with, you know, some of our heroes of our industry passing on, you know? So I think that would be the really interesting group to ask, you know, because right. I think you can almost get an expected answer out of, you know, a Hallmark legend, you know, like, was it worth it? Yada, yada. Of course they're going to say it's worth it. They had all of the elation of winning and prize money and adoration of millions and millions of fans. But what I want to know is how do the individuals feel that have had that moment on stage where they've been awarded the IFBB pro card, but then 
they're thrust right back into anonymity and that mm-hmm. there's really nothing that comes with going pro now. You know, in the 90s, getting your pro card came with a magazine deal and uh, tons of praise. And uh, generally, you would move to Venice or Definitely another hotspot destination. and you Higher would, money. Yeah, and there would be, you know, a five-figure contract and clout and a lifestyle that came with it. Whereas nowadays... You know, going pro doesn't really mean a whole lot. You know, they've added a plethora of divisions, which has inherently watered down what it means to be an IFBB pro. Um, They have, you know, added things like second place pro cards and things like that, all of which take away from the inherent value, the value of that pro card. So it's almost like when you think about a college degree nowadays, it's like you've got to do more than just get it. You've got to go do something with it or else it doesn't mean a whole lot. So it'd be nice to wonder or to, to pick the brains of the guys who are, you know, now having to pick up the potential amount of PEDs they're using or eat more, grow into another realm of off season weight that they've not recently been to or not been to before. How do those guys feel? Is the juice worth the squeeze to them? Mm -hmm. Or are those guys in a similar position of thinking, okay, um, bodybuilding has given me a ton of blessings and now with this pro card as a platform to uh continue to legitimize and advertise my myself as you know someone who offers services within it within the industry is that a good stopping point or you know do those guys still feel that same like unrelenting drive to need to go forward until the door is closed because i think the hardest thing for a lot of us to do is to quit a moment before the door is officially closed. You know, Mm -hmm. I think like all of us, you know, you get done with like bodybuilding is a weird sport that doesn't just have its finality the way that playing high school and college sports says, like there's no timeline with it. There's no one to like tell you, you can't keep doing it. In fact, they keep opening more doors, you know, there's masters, there's wheelchair, you know, before you know it, you're going to be able to get on stage and like, Full clothing, for all I know, it's like not right. even bodying, right. not There's, even dieting. The doors I mean. just keep opening, so it's like you just—it's it, tough for people who are wired like me to to shut it down any earlier than when the sport itself closes that door on you, and mm-hmm. you just wonder how are those new guys who've just gotten the pro card and come from a similar place that I do, where their heart was in bodybuilding before they knew bodybuilding was going to quite literally potentially take their heart, yeah, you know. And that most of these complications are heart related. So you wonder, you know, are some of these guys like, are they gassing it even harder in a figurative sense? Or are some of them like, okay, now I have the pro card. I I hit the lifelong goal. I know that I probably don't stand a chance to like, say, win an Arnold Classic or win an Olympia or even win a small show. So like, what are those guys doing? What is their mindset like? Mm -hmm. That's what I want to talk to. I I talked to Justin after he got his, right? And he he gave him like, you know, he was having those same kind of reflections, but he wasn't conscious of it like you are, right? He wasn't uh, talking to me about it. He just said, I mean, I'm just putting this out in the universe, but I'm going to be on the Olympia stage within five years. Mm -hmm. And so like, he was like, all right, gas pedal down. And I I think he should. I'm I'm on the record as saying he probably should. Mm -hmm. Um, I think he's got a great physique, great genetics. Mm -hmm. Um, He's still got his youth about him. I think he should. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool, man. Um, so dude, uh, this is such a good podcast, man. Yeah, man. Thank uh, you so uh, much so for being on. Dude. G- genuinely oh, yeah. enjoyed it. Man. Honestly, honestly, a great podcast, great conversation in general, even if we didn't yeah. have the mics on these opportunities, <laughs> they're a lot of fun for me. And yeah. you know, I'm the type of person that I grow as an individual. When I sound out a lot of the stuff that's in my own head, 
Yeah. You know, a lot of times, you know, my wife just looks at me and <laughs> this is what's going on. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like, I'm, I'm writing this book that you say I should yeah. write. Like yeah. just in my free time as I stare at the wall. So yeah. sometimes I develop and get a firmer grasp on what I want to do and where I want to go by just sounding some of this stuff out, hearing some stuff kicked back at me. And yeah, it just, it, it processes better when it comes out of the mouth instead of just playing back and forth between the ears. Dude, just yeah. classic bodybuilding lifestyle. You just get a lot of time with yourself. Yeah. You sit with we, yourself we, for we, a long time. We need to have you back on. We need to do like an Olympia podcast show where we watch the Olympia together with you. I think that'd be awesome. Yeah. yeah. Just talk <laughs> about each person and yeah, yeah dude, for real. Well, well, here's another fun thing that I'm yeah. going to throw out there. Uh, when I think about, uh, you know, future opportunities, prospects, directions I want to go into. One of my regrets from my time spent in college, you know, I am a college graduate, um, is that my undergrad wasn't spent doing like journalism or something. Cause yeah. I always like wanted to maybe like look at like being, you know, in type of some type of media or some type of color commentator or uh, something along those lines. And I've always kind of thought that if bodybuilding as a competitor didn't go for me, somewhere in the sphere of media might be like a good home or landing place or something that I might do alongside, you know, the coaching and yeah. the, the training. You, I think you could start step one by just saying, Hey, let me MC your next show yeah. to, to, you know, Chad and Kim or, you know, someone along those lines, just saying like, Hey, are you looking for an MC? Yeah. And just get started there. Yeah. So you know I, I, mean? I definitely see that as a future Avenue for me too. Uh, you know, I think I have a lot to give this industry with that type of, uh, you know, you definitely do, man. Yeah. It's, it's a hundred, it's, you definitely it, do. it's all natural. It's all passion. And yeah. so, um, we ask one last lighthearted question before we ever get off these podcasts. And that is, and this is actually like, I'm excited because I thought it was going to be like the most easy question ever <laughs> considering I've seen you eat at Jack stack so many times. Yeah. But if you only had one barbecue spot period to have to somebody, or maybe, maybe you're recommending to somebody for a cheat meal and say, Hey, this is the number one barbecue spot in all of Kansas city. What would you say it is? Okay. You only get one choice. Now, are we, are we talking like one choice with like one entree or like, oh, no, like, no. like one recommendation? You just, get to just, go just, in. Okay. You get to go in anywhere you want. Where okay. Yeah, yeah. You get to go. You get to have the cornbread at Jack Stack, which is my favorite there. But unfortunately, my favorite barbecue spot, Q39, doesn't have cornbread anymore. Yeah. They did away with it, which I hate them for. But Man, I, I, I almost wish I could make like my, my best barbecue plate, which would be a mix of stuff from different places. But well, this will be a first. Let's do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah let's do, do it. it. Okay. okay. So... I'm probably going to start my meal off with, give me a second. <laughs> okay. So we're, we're going to run it as like kind of like an appetizer starter. Yeah. yeah. And then I'm going to run it as like an entree so I can get a couple of things in here. So Do what you need. I'm going to get started at Q39 with some of their pork belly and some of their poutine. Oh yeah. yeah. Pork belly corn dogs. Yeah. Or the pork I, belly regular. Uh, the, the pork belly regular. Okay, I'm going to okay. put some pork belly on top of their poutine dish. Uh. Um, I'm going to have a little bit of their brisket with that. But then I'm going to take it over to Jack Stack. And this could even be potential like final rights, like last meal shit. Uh, <laughs> the Jack Stack crown prime rib. If you've never had their Ooh, crown prime I've never, rib. Never had short it. rib. Off, sh off, I think it's, off shoot I, menu item. I think it's literally probably the last thing I would eat before I die. And I'd be very happy to have that. So <laughs> say um, it again for our listeners. So it's, for the, me. it's the crown prime beef short rib. So Dear um, as a, a, a red meat connoisseur, you know, I, I've always traditionally been someone who loved, you know, a, a high dollar steak. You know, I love going to a nice steakhouse, like a, 
a capital a capital grill or a chop house sure or, sure five you know, star McCormick spots. and Schmitz and you know having a great fillet or a great bone and ribeye but I've actually in my uh, years come to appreciate some of the lower quality cuts of red meat when done to perfection and I think one of the best ones out there is the barbecue beef short rib you know it's not a high dollar cut of meat you can get it at the store for pretty cheap but you have a good beef short rib prepared for you properly braised slow cooked and there's not much else better than that, man. So that's amazing. Yeah, take yourself to Jack Stack at the Crown Prime. Uh, the way that you describe that, you might want to like call it, Food Network because I think you could have a job at Food Network. <laughs> so you, you hear me say rib, and you're probably thinking like you know a slab of ribs. I'm talking about like a dinosaur bone. Yeah, it's one rib, but it literally has like eight to ten ounces of meat on it. It's all fall off the bone. The bone is so huge, you could like. Chuck it at somebody in the face and leave yeah. a bruise. It's 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 a it's a damn dinosaur bone. It's a it's a meal made for a man. Yeah. Uh, you have that you know on the with a side of fries or a twice baked potato, and you're full for twelve hours. Yeah, Hell that's yeah. a nap. That's a nap of a meal. It's a yeah, nap. <laughs> that's a nap of a meal for sure. So that's yeah. where I'm going with that for the barbecue. Uh, started at Q39, some pork belly, some brisket, some poutine, then uh, take it over to Jack Sack for that Crown Prime. Then nail me in, put yeah. me under. All right, well, nice. I'm gonna I'm gonna fire this back at you when you do the pork belly at Q39. Do the pork belly corn dogs. Pork belly corn dogs. You dip them in maple syrup. It's unbelievable. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I can, crazy. I can rock with that. Um, so you're, dude. I'm 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 really hoping as many bodybuilders as possible to take a listen to this podcast, and I think that you're gonna inspire many. And so, um, if they wanted to get a hold of you, yeah, for, for maybe coaching or for whatever, you coaching, yeah. following how, you. How best, can I get a hold of you? Best way to get a hold of me, guys, is I'm primarily functioning through Instagram. So. Um, give me a message over there, uh, Ty underscore Jordan underscore bodybuilding. And to that end, um, if you've had any misgivings about where you're going with this bodybuilding journey and it has your heart, but you have questions or doubts about whether you can do this safely or whether there's any reason to do it at all, I would implore you to have a conversation with me, get a feel for how I like to do things with my guys because health first is my priority. I've been down a multitude of avenues with a multitude of different coaches. I've done this a plethora of different ways and I'm very confident in my ability to do this as healthy as possible while getting as much progress as possible and being able to weigh different sides of the equation as it pertains to you and your potential. So um, please, I implore you have a conversation with me and I look forward to getting you into a program and maximizing your physique while maintaining your health to the very best of our abilities. Awesome, man. Awesome, dude. Thanks so much for your time. Yeah. Uh, to our listeners, a couple of notes here. One, our Protein Bros t-shirts are available at all uh, seven supplement superstores locations right now. Let them know that you subscribe to the podcast and they will hook you up on the house. If you are not local to Kansas City, we do offer them for $24.99 um, on, on our website at ProteinBrosPodcast.com. And um, my other note we are looking to add as many people to our listenership as possible. If you've taken some value out of this podcast, we just simply ask that you tell a friend and, uh, and have them subscribe as well. Um, I think that's all I got, dude. You got anything else? I got nothing else, man. Thank you again for yeah. coming on. Appreciate man, your I time, appreciate Ty. this from you guys. Yep. Yep. Huge no fan problem, of what dude. you guys are doing and honored to be a part of it. And I hope you guys all enjoyed this. Awesome. Yeah, appreciate man. you guys. Thank you.